bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 51 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we are looking at episode 6 and 7 of season 4 of The Adventures of Superman. First, Jack Larson will play a double role in Jimmy the Kid, and then we are going to meet up with the girl who hired Superman. As a little bonus, I've got my semi-regular co-host for The Adventures of Superman, Bob Fisher, in, in the house. Well, I ha- I saw the light flickering, a little blue light flickering, as I walked by your house and said, you know, I'll bet Mike's watching Superman. So, sure enough, there you were, and you were watching two pretty good episodes, Jimmy the Kid and uh, the girl who hired Superman, so I hung around. Well, I got Mara Van Cleaver to lend me some money so I could pay the electric bill. <laughs> That's why well, the lights I'm were glad. flickering. Oh, I thought it was just the blue flicker of the little 13-inch black and white set you bought to watch these in the real, to get the real feel of 1950s television. Well, I do try. I do make the window on my computer a little small. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, can you turn the color off, too? It'd be fun if you could, you know. I probably could if uh, I wanted to. Uh, you know, computers in the old days, I used to be in computers in the old days, in the 80s and 90s, with the Amiga computer, and it was a much better computer, and the user had so much more control. Right. You could do stuff like that. I could have easily put it in a window, opened a menu, and said, you know, uh, switch to grayscale. Right. But anyway, it's good to be here. And it's always good to have you here. Thanks. You see how I did that? Brought it right back? I could have easily gone down another little branch but i'm not going to do that i'm not going to go down memory lane and tell a whole bunch of stupid stories we're going to stick right to the show i'm going to be a good guy tonight right here focused jimmy the kid girl who hired superman i should keep a little i should keep a little jar right next to me and every time you go off (laughs) down a rabbit hole (laughs) right i'm not sure what i'd accomplish i'd be sticking my own money in it you'd put your own money in, right that'd be funny sounds like a plan I've never really heard Jack Larson talk a ton about Jimmy the Kid, but he must have had a lot of fun doing this one. Oh, he must have. He must have really, really enjoyed this episode. And he's really good. He is really playing two very distinct characters. And I think Jack had a good time with this one. Out of all the Superman programs, one of the most challenging for me as an actor was Jimmy the Kid, filmed in 1955. In it, I had the opportunity to play a dual role, sensitive and bungling Jimmy Olsen, and his dead ringer, Tough as nails, gangster Kid Collins. Not only was this episode filmed at historic Charlie Chaplin Studios, it was suspensefully directed by Phil Ford, nephew of distinguished Hollywood director John Ford. It's a unique and fun episode. And I will say, in that first scene, he had some pretty good chemistry with himself. Yeah, and I thought for the time, the little double, you know, the cut back and forth and, and the way it was shot, I think they did a really good job of it. Yeah, they definitely shot it very well. They shot it in such a way that they never had to have Collins and Jimmy show their faces on the same shot. Right. 
But you didn't doubt, especially if you're a kid, you didn't doubt that the two of them were right there in the same room. No. I think it was photographed really, really well. They learned from uh, the face and the voice, I think. Right. Before we get to that one, we've got some feedback to, to deal with from Dave McElvenny. Hi, Dave. I mean, really, who else? <laughs> I actually uh, got something in the mail from Dave a couple days ago. He uh, sent me a, a postcard with Superman and Crypto on it. I posted it over on the Facebook page. And Dave wrote on it, uh, how's this for the dog who knew Superman? You know, as Dave <laughs> knows of my love for the dog who knew Superman episode. Dave's a good guy. Dave is a good guy. And I, I do like that dog who knew Superman. Yes. And who else in today's society and world takes the time to sit down and physically send a postcard? That's a special human. Thank you, Dave. Yes. That will go. He sent a, me one, too. Yeah. That will go in a special place once a special place is found. <laughs> right. Right. Right now, you're putting them all over there until the time when you get that big, big mansion with the Superman wing. I'll settle for a man cave. Just a man cave. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen podcast episode number 47, in which we talked about Flight to the North and the Seven Souvenirs. Mmm, lemon meringue pie. And I don't think Dave mentions lemon meringue pie in his letter. Oh, well, I had lemon meringue pie. You did. Last week, well, two, three weeks now, I guess. Two. Two. On the 22nd of January. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. So. Yeah, last week was my wife's birthday. But two weeks before that was mine, and I had lemon meringue pie. I have lemon meringue pie every year. My wife always gets me or makes. Several years, she's actually made from scratch lemon meringue pie for my birthday. So uh, I think that's kind of cool. So what did Dave say? Dave said, greetings, Mike. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, in part because I thoroughly enjoy Flight to the North, and in part because I thoroughly enjoy the interplay between you and Bob Fisher. <laughs> it's nice to know that we're in there, too. It helps, yeah. It does. I, I must certainly agree with the statement that Flight to the North really works because of George Reeves, Chuck Connors, and Ben Weldon, mm -hmm. all of whom must have been having a ball with this one. I recall the statement from one of, you earlier, from one of your earlier discussions about the color season that they are often silly, but that silly doesn't automatically mean bad. Right. And this one is a case in point. It truly is silly, but it's good fun for both kids and grown-ups. That line really resonated with Dave. Mm-hmm. It's he, a good line, though. It is. He's mentioned it several <clears> times. <throat> now, The Seven Souvenirs, on the other hand, is less silly and a bit less fun, I think. It mm -hmm. does seem a bit derivative of the mystery of the broken statues from Season 1, especially once we are led to believe that there might be something hidden inside one of the knives. Right. But to me, there doesn't seem to be as much dramatic tension here. Maybe it's because this one doesn't have Phyllis Coates as Lois Lane, or maybe because it doesn't seem to be quite as great a threat of physical violence as there was in The Broken Statues, since that level of threat was diminished in the more kid-friendly third season. Right, plus I think the actor playing the scientist or the bad guy in The Knives, it was, no, it was nowhere near as menacing as the guy who played the bad guy in The Broken Statues. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the Chinese Jade. The one where the guy whacked the hell out of the guy's girlfriend. That's mm. that's the Chinese Jade. Yeah. Well, there were several during that right. that season where it was really bad. The guy who was putting pills in everybody's coffee. Could it be the darkest secret of all? Could his identity be that of a woman? <laughs> <sighs> what? Yeah. No. Try try that one in this in this political climate. Yeah. Really. Go ahead. So Dave continues. None of that takes anything away from your coverage of these two episodes. And of the fun you and Bob always seem to have together. Thanks, as always, for all you do in making such enjoyable podcasts. Why, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Dave. And he signs off with the usual, live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. So thank you, Dave, Although, for writing in. I am curious, Dave, how you can, you know, enjoy 
flight to the north without mentioning the lemon meringue pie. I, that is the the whole reason for that episode to be. That is the whole reason for all of that madness. All of it stems from the lemon meringue pie. Mmm. Mm. That is possibly the, the most famous lemon meringue pie on television. Mmm. I like lemon meringue pie. I like pie. I like apple pie, blueberry pie, chocolate pie. Mmm. Chocolate meringue pie. Mmm. I like pie. Apple pie. Especially hot apple pie with French vanilla ice cream. Oh, French vanilla. <laughs> I just go for the standard. I just go for the standard mm. vanilla. Mmm. I love the French vanilla. It's got a little more of a, I don't know what, a hearty, a, a vanilla taste. Right. <laughs> A little stronger vanilla. So good. So good. All right. So with that being said, we will take a quick break, play a promo, and then we'll come back with Jimmy the Kid. Can we have some lemon meringue pie? You can have whatever you like, but just make sure you're you're broad enough for everybody. (laughs) You can just send it right through the Skype call. Squish. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com All right, welcome back, folks. Head right into Jimmy the Kid. Original broadcast date was April 28, 1956. Writer was Leroy H. Zarin. Director was Phil Ford. Guest cast, I guess you could say, included Jack Larson as Kid Collins. <laughs> Diana Darren as Maisie. Damian O'Flynn as J. Walter Gridley. Florence Ravenel as Mrs. Cooper. Rick Vallon as Mian. And Steve Conti as Pruitt. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source on the web for Superman information. Corrupt investment broker J. Walter Gridley is desperate to get his hands on evidence Clark Kent has in his office at the Daily Planet. His henchmen, Pruitt and Meehan, had no luck finding anything before... Well? Did you get it? No, we didn't. We went through Kent's office with a fine-tooth comb, nothing. Sure you went through everything? Everything but one cabinet. That was made out of case-hardened steel and had a pick-proof lock. You idiots. That's the one you should have opened. (laughs) You're supposed to be experts. That night guard practically fell over us. We're lucky we're not in jail right now. So you panicked and ran without finishing the job? Get this straight, Gridley. This reporter Kent's got the goods on you, not us. If you want that marked money in those affidavits that bad, you get them. I knew I couldn't depend on you. Okay, okay, get them yourself. I will. In my own way. Hey, kid. Yeah. I told you to get rid of her. I got no secrets from Maisie. I have. Wait for me someplace. Are you crazy? 
That's Jimmy Olsen, Kent's reporter friend. There's one way to take care of a snooper. <laughs> Why don't you teach your mugs better manners, Gridley? The boss, this, this Olsen. Perfect double, isn't he, Pruitt? Look, here's a picture of Olsen. Same height, same weight. Even his eyes and hair are the same color. You'll do, kid. Boys, this is Kid Collins from out of town. I think we can use him. I don't know what you're getting at, boss, but it don't make sense to me. I, I still think he's that reporter. A reporter? Listen, chum, the only school I ever went to was the Federal Pen at Folston last year. Folston? Okay, Mr. Olson, you asked for it. I spent time there myself. Who's the contact man for the Midwest mob? Marty Fargo, embezzlement, 20 years. Who hands out steam room assignments in the laundry? Assistant guard Gorman, and his brother's in charge of solitary. This is on the level, then? It's on the level. A dead ringer. A little surprise package for Kent Olson and the rest of his friends. Jimmy is captured, and Kit Collins is taking his place. Like finding a twin brother, eh, Collins? <laughs> yeah. It's too bad he's such a chump. I'm not the chump. I'm smart enough to stay on the right side of the law. Shut up. Sure. You're a chump. Look at those crummy clothes. I wouldn't be caught dead in them. But you'll be caught. Easy, Collins. I don't like yappers. Twenty bucks. Hey, that's my wallet. It's got my press card and identification and everything in it. Yeah. I'm gonna need them. For identification. You got a lot of studying to do, Collins. These are pictures of all of Olson's pals on the newspaper. Perry White, Lois Lane, Clark Kent. What a bunch of creeps. Good, solid citizens. There's every bit of information Olson should have about all of them. But no matter what you do, you can't be me. That's a break, kid. A real break. Now, come on, let's start swapping clothes. No one at the planet takes anything of his strange behavior. He whistles at Lois, bets on horses, and mouths off to Perry. Hello, James. Me? You. How do you feel? Oh, I'm fine. Why? Oh, I just thought I'd ask. Enjoying your cigar? Yeah, it's a good Havana. Why shouldn't I? Well, that's a good question. I'll see you later. Oh, Clark. Yes, there's a big forest fire just outside of town, out in the Northridge area. Seems to be getting out of control. Dozens of homes are being threatened. Go out there and cover it. And when they get the story, phone it in here to Olson. Rewrites have all they can handle. Yes, sir. Olson, I'm giving you a break. I hope you can handle this assignment. I got a gun in each hand, Chief. I'll mow it down. Take your feet off that desk. Watch it, Dad. What did you say, Olson? I, uh, uh nothing, nothing. You, uh, you just watch for that nifty spiel I'm gonna write you. Clearly, Superman will be needed to put out the blaze. Superman flies so fast that he puts it out the flames in Northridge. Clark phones in the story to Jimmy. Yeah, Olson speaking. Kent, shoot. All right, Jimmy, here's your forest fire story. Luckily, Superman showed up. Yeah. 
What happened? He flew through the flames with such speed that he literally blew them out. Smart. That's a pretty good gag. Fortunately, there was no loss of life. But a great deal of valuable forest land is gone forever, due as usual to someone's carelessness. Hey, you sound like an editorial. And you better make it read that way, too. Don't forget that most forest fires are caused by people. People? I thought it was matches. Very funny. Matches, too. Well, you better get in that story. Hey, Ken, before I forget about it, I hear a couple of hoods try to heisting that evidence in your office. Is it safe? Jimmy, will you stop trying to talk like some kind of an underworld character? And stop worrying about that evidence, too. Some of it's locked in my files, and the rest of it's home. At home, huh? Smart. Thank you very much. Now you better hit that typewriter. You have a deadline to meet, remember? Collins later writes the forest fire story, but his gangster slang makes the article unprintable. All right, I wish what is it? You said you wanted to see this forest fire story. Well, in all my experience, Olson, what in, what's gotten into you? Of all the ridiculous, a forest fire tried to muscle into Metropolis today. It was hotter than the hot seat at Sing Sing. Along came Superman just in time, like the FBI. Any crumb but Superman would have blew his top, but Superman blowed out the fire. It was duck soup for him. What kind of journalism is that, Olson? If you don't like it, White, it's your tough luck. And get this through your head, I don't need your crummy job in the first place, see? Olson, firing you would be much too simple. You deserve a more serious punishment. And you're going to get it in spades. Now out! Get out! Thanks. Great Caesar's ghost. Collins has no luck in Clark's office finding the marked money or the affidavits used against Gridley. Lois stops him before he can unlock the file cabinet. Collins does, however, hit Pater in Kent's apartment. A neighbor named Mrs. Cooper, believing the gangster is Jimmy, lets him enter. The kid finds the papers, but he also has another prize as he opens Clark's secret closet. Superman's spare costume was hanging in there. Hello? Oh, Collins, any luck? The jackpot, almost. I got the affidavits, and I'm going back for the marked money. Hey, uh, by the way, what kind of a bonus do I get if I tell you who Superman is? Superman's identity? You name it. Tell me. <laughs> Later. Right now, in a half hour, meet me in the alley across from the Planet Building. We'll be there. And the money I give you, kid, won't be marked. Well, gentlemen, looks like we're off the hook. And this chump's right on it. Let's go. Sorry, son, but when we get back, we'll have to take care of you permanently. Leave the lights on. Looks more legitimate like we're working late. Yeah, we are. Jimmy, in the meantime, has been bound and gagged to a chair in Gridley's office. Collins' wife, Maisie, thinking he is the kid, frees Jimmy. Kid! Kid! Oh, honey! Oh, I never heard of such a... How oh, dare that, Gridley! What happened, kid? Look, miss. Miss? I mean, Mr. Gridley tied me up. But, but why? Untie me and I'll explain. You 
Gypsy baby. I had the goods on him. Baby? Oh, honey, you never called me that before. Please, I can't breathe. They tried to double-cross me. Nobody's going to treat my husband like that. Let's get out of this town, kid. Oh, sure, sure, but uh, first, Gridley owes me some money, and I'm going to collect from him, so you wait right here. My clothes. If you're chilly, your top coat's down the car, right in front of the building. Swell. Lois Lane is about to go home for the night when she catches Jimmy trying to open Clark's locked filing cabinet. you caused enough trouble today? Why don't you mind your own business? Why, Jimmy, you never talked to me like that before. And since you brought the subject up, that's why I'm here so late, finishing up your business, the rewrite on the fire story. You missed a good one, Jim, front page, and I got the banner. You got the what? The banner. But that's the first thing you learned in the... Why, of course. Your freshness, the cigars. The way you wrote that article, and now, not knowing what a banner headline is, you look incredibly like him. But you're not Jimmy Olsen at all. Don't move, sister. Okay, I'm not your crummy little friend, but I am a guy who gets what he wants, and I don't play games. And what I want's in that file. So sit down and shut up. What's in here will pay me plenty. There's the real payoff. What is it? I told you I'm a guy that gets things. It's a little item I picked up in Kent's apartment. Should I say Superman's joint? You mean that Clark Kent? It figures. Looks like Superman keeps a spare around. Anyway, what I want's in here. Then I skip town. Sister, I warn you, one more move. Somebody must have the key to this file. No one but Mr. Kent and the chief. And you just gave the old geezer the story. Come on, sister. Let's go see him. Meanwhile, Clark has found that his spare costume and the evidence against Gridley are gone. If Perry doesn't help him get the remaining papers Clark has, both he and Lois will pay the ultimate price. Whoever you are, and I still find it hard to believe you're not Olsen gone crazy, I refuse to comply with your request for the key to the file. In plain English, that means no, huh? Exactly. Look, Dad, you got more than yourself to worry about. You're responsible for her, too. You wouldn't dare. You got exactly one minute. What was that? I didn't hear anything. It was the elevator. Somebody's heading this way. Don't move. Chief, Miss Lane. Jimmy, look out. You coward, you. Jimmy. Seeing we were interrupted, I'll be big hearted. You still got one minute to get the key to that filing cabinet. 
Five seconds, Dad. Smart. Now do one more smart thing and nothing will happen to you. Give me ten minutes start before you call the cops. Deal? Don't make any deals with them, Chief. It's a deal, Collins. Ten minutes. Why did you let him get away with it? You saw what he did to Olsen. I couldn't take a chance on his harming you. But aren't you going to call the police? Not for ten minutes. I gave my word. Jimmy has even made Gridley believe that he's Kid Collins. However, it's not enough to save him from his evil double. Collins pistol whips Olsen unconscious in Perry's office. To save Lois and Jimmy, the chief reluctantly gives him the key to Clark's cabinet and agrees to allow Collins to have a ten-minute head start before calling the cops. Having left Superman's spare costume in Perry's office, Collins leaves with the affidavits. He and Gridley head for the ladder's office in the Barclay building. Superman arrives at the planet to hear Jimmy say Gridley's name as he regains consciousness, Then the Man of Steel is in hot pursuit of Gridley and Collins. Gridley's in a panic. He must get money from his safe before the police surround the building. Unfortunately, the door won't open with the combination he created. Superman is actually holding it closed from the inside before confronting the gangsters. Kid Collins fires his gun into Cape Tiro as the vault door is ripped open. The bullets bounce all over the room as Superman shows what a great bowler he is and, and knocks out all four guys with two punches. When they awaken, they will be in prison. The Daily Planet has a scoop of Gridley and his gang being arrested. Well, for once, you all did a fine job. We got a clean scoop on the Gridley case and put some pretty dangerous characters behind bars. With a little assist from Superman. You still have a question to answer, Mr. Kent, about this costume Collins found in your apartment. Oh, that. Chief, you remember that story you want me to write for the uh, Sunday magazine section? No. What story? Oh, Chief, you remember. It's all about Superman, his likes, his dislikes, his day-to-day -day existence, and all that sort of thing. Yes, yes, of course I remember. And I must say you've taken plenty of time with it. It's been weeks since I gave you that assignment. Yes, Chief, and I'm sorry about it, but I've got all the pictures now. As a matter of fact, I've even got a uh, description of Superman's costume, so, uh... Don't you think we ought to give it back, Lois? So, before we head into that one, into our discussion of this, just want to point out that this episode is loosely based on the comic story Jimmy Olsen's Double in Superman number 93, covered in November 1954. I have a CBR of this, of this issue on my computer, so I checked it out. Ooh. Basically, mm -hmm. the only things that are really in common are Jimmy having a double and the poorly written story. <laughs> Other than those two two things, it's a different, it's a completely different story. Ooh. And it was which one? Superman number ninety four. Ninety three. Ninety three. Okay. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I had a hell of a time finding it because I can't read apparently, and I was uh, looking at Jimmy Olsen number ninety three. And I, and I couldn't quite figure out why they'd be adapting a story from an issue from an issue that came out ten years in the future. Right. Yeah. That. That. Yeah. Ninety three. Jimmy Olsen would be a little late. The early sixties. Yeah. I think. So I looked at it again, and it's actually Superman number ninety four, number ninety three. Which this could very well be a Jimmy Olsen comic. The 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 story in the comic or the uh this the, the, this particular story Jimmy. Olsen's yeah. The episode. Double. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 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 So, what do you think of this one? Oh, I liked it. I enjoyed it, actually. I think Jack Larson did a great job, and I like there's several elements I like about it. I like Jack Larson's performance. I like the fact that, that Lois is pretty much the one figuring out that, while everybody else just thinks, what the hell's wrong with you, boy? You're changing here or something. Lois is the first one to really put it together that, hey, this isn't, this isn't our Jimmy. Right. She seems to have the one who had all the clues. Right. From the minute right. Collins now, walked in. Now, it might have been. Right. Right, right from the whistle. It might have, 
Exactly. That's what I was getting ready to say is that it might have been because of the fact that she was the one that experienced him more than the others. Particularly Perry had one or two quick things and just dismissed him and thought it's more Olsen just being a teenage idiot. Right. Clark even thought, you know, that it's a phase of some kind. But, Clark but is Lois mysteriously absent for a lot of this episode. Yeah, it's almost like he directed it or something. <laughs> but uh, I mean, like right after he leaves for the forest fire, right? We don't see him again until he discovers his apartment is broken into. Exactly. But but yeah. But overall, I think it's a solid episode. I don't have any real problems with with it. There's several in the color seasons that we can you know pick apart, but. A, it's not a silly episode. It's not right. really trying to be silly. And I think everybody is just on their game for this one. Especially Jack Larson. Especially Jack Larson. Yeah. Especially who, Jack Larson. Who must have had a lot of fun playing uh, playing both roles. Yeah, because he does, you know, he is playing two distinct characters here. These are two entirely different characters. And I think it really goes to show Anybody who dismissed Jack Larson or these shows thinking that they weren't good actors or they're just playing for children because of the way he acts. You know, I think if you take just two seconds to actually watch these episodes, you'll realize, no, these are really good actors doing their job, you know. And uh, in this episode, Jack Larson is, uh, you know, raised his game, brought his game. He came ready to be the guy. And... As I mentioned before, the way it's photographed, the way it's shot, I really like that. I really like the way that, unlike some of the color episodes, they're almost a little too bright or something. They're just a little too cartoony. So the look even adds to the silliness of it sometimes. This one didn't do that. No. I think the look and the feel about this, the way it was directed... And and photographed was went right along with the attitude. So no, I give it a good solid uh, B on on this. This is definitely one I would not be afraid to say. Oh, you want to watch a color episode? This here's a good one. Features Jack Larson. Yeah, no, it know. definitely is. It's a little little heavier than some of the others and some of the others. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really like uh, Jack Larson's performance. I think he pulls pulls off both roles well, and he. He gets to play his character a little interestingly in this episode. You can, you know, as an actor in this kind of role, you could definitely fall into the trap of when he's Collins just playing Jimmy. Right. He's clearly playing Collins pretending to be Jimmy. Yes. And it's also very amusing when you get the reverse for a few minutes, where you get Jimmy having to pretend to be Collins. Yes. When the girlfriend came in particularly. Right. I just think you're right. Absolutely. Which is one of my notes that you think, well, he's just playing two characters. Well, he's actually playing two characters, but at a couple of times during the show, he's playing those characters playing each other. Right. So it's really, really good. And uh, I think Jack was, you know, there's a reason they, they do stuff like this for him. They let him have shows and feature him, and they've done it since season one. Right. They have featured Jack Larson. Whether it was serious season one episodes or even some of the sillier, funnier ones uh, of the later seasons, Jack Larson was good. Right. Yeah. And man. this is the first time he had to play mean, and right. I thought I thought he did it very well. Yeah, me too. Just me his too. attitude in the scene when in the scene when he's playing against Jimmy. Uh-huh. Voice is a little gruffer. 
That's a great performance. Everything, yeah, good performance. I mean, the facial expression was was different. Everything, the way he wore his clothes, not just that the clothes on Collins were, you know, obviously a much more expensive outfit than Jimmy was wearing, but the way he wore it, the way he walked, the attitude he carried. Um, you have to look really closely to to see Jimmy in Collins in that first scene. Yes, you do. So, bravo, Jack Larson. All right, so let's get right into this. Uh, this this episode starts with a little continuity note. Clark still lives at the Stan the Charms apartments. Yay! And I believe this is really the first mention of that since season one. Probably, I don't remember. I that's a that's a good trivia. How many times and did he always stay there? Well, they made a big deal out of him living there in stolen costume. But now you're saying they brought it back. They mentioned it here again. Yeah, they show a big nameplate. Right, and it might be the first time since then. Right. They really never made a big deal out of it, bud. Right. If you're really paying attention all these years later, you look at that, uh, and, you know, for a show that doesn't really, uh, play the continuity all that often, that's a neat little bit. Mm, okay, good, yeah. Another fun note that Clark apparently prefers Swiss cheese to American, but he'll take American if Swiss isn't available. <laughs> so Clark has been pretty busy. He's uh, working all day and all night trying to, uh, stop what he calls some pretty foul play. We don't know what he's doing yet, but it's very important. He's typing hard. Well, he's not really typing. He's looks like he's going through some papers and uh, matching stuff. Right. And Jimmy is just kind of tagging along. I guess, I guess he has sent Jimmy out to do a sandwich run as Clark is kind of chasing Jimmy away uh, mid-swallow. I could eat a sandwich now. Yeah, I could too. I'm not going to, though, because uh, <laughs> yeah, me neither. it's not going to make itself. And that would not be good podcasting etiquette. No, it would not. All right, so we go straight from Clark's apartment to uh, Gridley Investments. Apparently, they're working late. And now we get to see these two guys walking into Gridley's office. And apparently, uh, they broke in but couldn't find the affidavits and the marked money. Which, for those of you not up on your uh, criminal lingo, marked money is counterfeit. And uh, they couldn't get into the cabinet with the case hardened steel and pick roof lock. <laughs> which, I guess, is the big clue that that's the one they should have uh, yeah. They should have gotten into. Yeah. But, apparently... Uh, these guys aren't risking themselves too much for Gridley. I guess it doesn't pay very well. Because they're pretty uh upfront with him. You know, they tell him to go get it himself. Yeah, they were not particularly dependable henchmen. No. Maybe uh, whatever Gridley was paying them wasn't worth the risk. So, here is Gridley's plan. And it's Jack Larson. And hey, it's Jimmy Olsen. It is. He ate that sandwich really uh, quickly, didn't he? Mm-hmm. But, nope, nope, this is not Jimmy. This is Kid Collins. Who, it's look, not Jimmy. Wow. No, because you could tell immediately because he introduces himself by punching me and right in the stomach. <laughs> right. Well, he deserved it. He did. He was going to pull a gun on him. And he was calling him names, saying he was fake and that he wasn't, the, that he was just Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Don't call me yeah. Jimmy. And the other thug, I believe this is Pruitt, quizzes him on some prison information. Right. And he passes the test. Pruitt appears, that actor appears in several episodes as a henchman. Right. Most of these uh, henchmen are pretty much just henchmen all the time. I don't believe we see Meehan or Gridley at any other point in the show. And Pruitt is the one that does the most work for Gridley, apparently, because he's going to, the next day, he's going to abduct Jimmy right out of the office. Jimmy uh, shows him his theater tickets, and they get ripped up right in front of him. That wasn't very nice. That was not very nice. And although I did think Jimmy did a really good job of confusing uh, Pruitt. Can I help you? The guy at the information desk told me I'd find him. He was wrong, man. Usually you'd find me in the city room. Mr. Kent lets me use his office when he's out. Are you trying to confuse me? That's all I know. 
I was just trying to give you the facts. You see, I'm usually in the city room. Skip it. You're Olsen, aren't you? Yeah. Somebody say I wasn't? <laughs> with the whole, uh, well, no, the, the, the person was wrong. I'm normally in the city room. I just hang right. out here. I just think Pruitt's not a particularly bright henchman either. No, he's not. And he probably was confused. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's probably sitting there thinking, well, I found you here. So what are you telling me all this other crap for? <laughs> and but good old Jimmy. Yep. He's kidnapped right out of Clark's office. And Pruitt is showing uh, Jimmy his new trick about shooting him without making a hole in the pocket. I think Jimmy is suitably impressed by uh, Pruitt's ability. Mm-hmm. So. Gee, how does he shoot him without making a hole in his pocket? Because I already got a hole in my pocket from the last time I used it. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes the obvious solutions are the right ones. Yeah, that's still a funny joke. I still yeah. laugh at that for yeah. some reason. It's so bad. It's so corny. It's just, I don't even know if it came from a gangster movie or a book or somewhere else or this was the first time, but I, I still laugh at that. Jimmy, Jimmy's face sells it. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he's got right as he says that he's got what uh, Jack Larson calls Jimmy's stupefied look. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just really good. It's a funny scene. We go right next to Gridley's office, and this is where Jimmy meets Kid for the first. Well, Kid for the first time. And I love how when he sees him, Jimmy stands right up. Right up. Mm-hmm. He doesn't quite know what to make of what's walking in the room in front of him. Like, like I said, I really love how Jack Larson plays. Against himself. Yes. I'm sure it's him and his stunt double who's playing the back of the head. Right. But they don't sound alike when they talk to each other. Mm-mm. And Jimmy is not backing down. He's doing a good job of not showing any fear here. I think it's one of the reasons I do also like this episode. You know, Jimmy is not just, uh, and neither is Lois. Or neither, none of them. They're not, any of them are just, you know, tied to the train tracks. Oh no, help me, help me. Right. You know, they do get into trouble, obviously. But it's just not typical. I like the fact that he is standing up for himself and being a little stronger character, and Lois is being kind of smart. So Right. Obviously, when Gridley shows Collins, he cast the character of the planet. I do love Jimmy's line about when he says, no matter what you do, you can't be me. I think that's his way of telling Collins, they're going to see through you. You're not going to be able to pull this off. And he's right. They are going to see through it. So I like that line in, when they're making the duplicate Kirk. Mind your own business, Mr. Spock, you half-breed something or other. Right. I'm I'm sick and tired of your interference or whatever. But, you know, it does take them a while to figure it out. Yeah, particularly Clark, as I was saying earlier, particularly Clark and Perry. They just think it's Olsen doing weird playing games or something. Lois, right from the first whistle, and then him calling her honey. Right, after she catches him breaking breaking into the... uh into the cabinet the first time. Right. Yeah, Lois has the most interaction with Collins than all of them, but you would think Perry would have noticed it as soon as he wrote the story. You know? Yeah, yeah. I like to think Jimmy has enough professional integrity that uh, he wouldn't botch a story quite like that on purpose. Yeah, but I think that's just, you know, Perry's still trying to think of him as a cub kid reporter, not even a reporter, just a kid, and he's doing some sort of stupid kid thing. Right. It, it's a little off, but... I feel like Perry should know better, though. Yeah, he probably should, but uh, his first response is always anger and, you know, I'm sure if it had kept up, he would have figured it out, too. Right. Perry has shown that he can't get past the look, because even when he knows it's not Jimmy, he says that he finds it hard to believe that that he's not Jimmy gone crazy. (laughs) Right, right. So, 
I think Perry is having trouble accepting, even when he knows the truth, that it's not Jimmy. Obviously, until Jimmy burst into the room later on. Right. But still, I think that's what I'm saying. I think that Perry thinks it's just Olsen going through a phase. It's just He's just being a smart aleck kid. Right. And if I yell at him, he'll snap out of it. Which he doesn't. Which so, he does not. We're after the uh, scene where they uh, switch outfits. And it was very nice of Collins to lend, uh, lend Jimmy his suit. Yes. So we, we get our first look at the planet of Collins trying to be Jimmy. And he whistles at Lois. So right off the bat, her uh, antennas are up. She knows that something is wrong with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. And I do believe we're about to get our first look at the city room. In the color seasons. In the colors. Have we seen it before in the black and white? Yeah, in the black and white. They did. Might have even been, no, I was going to say Ghost Wolf. But there was a black and white where Jimmy was in the city room. There was another one where Perry went down to the city room. Yeah, well, yeah, but I don't think we saw Perry in the city room. That was boy editor, and he just said he didn't like the looks mm. he was getting in the in the city room. But. Yeah, I just have a mental image of one episode somewhere of Clark and Perry talking, standing up right at the doors of the city room after being inside, and there's just people at desks everywhere. Okay, well, I thought they were talking about Jimmy Olsen sitting there with his feet up again. Well, he might they might have been, which is what he's doing in this one. Exactly, he's doing, and he has no typewriter either. You're right. And he doesn't seem to have much, much on his desk at all. Probably because he's always in Clark's office. Right. right. He doesn't strike as someone who spends a lot of time at his desk. I don't think that's even his desk. Yes, it I is. Think it's just, yes, it is. It says does J- it actually say Jimmy Olsen yeah, on it? Yeah, he had the nameplate that says Jay Olsen on it. Interesting. Good uh, central location. That's where you want your desk in a whole room full of desks. I will say this, crossing the streams a little bit. Sophia mm. Howitt from Dune would be very upset because Jimmy is sitting with his back to the door. Right, right. Yeah, I would. I I don't like sitting with my back to the door. No, me neither. Yeah. So anyway, back to Superman. So Clark and Lois walk in, and they see him smoking the cigar with his feet up at the desk, calling in his uh, horse racing picks. That's a good Havana. It is. Why not? But Clark has this interesting conversation with Jimmy, and it just kind of ends with him saying, I'll see you later. It's like he's trying to get a feel for what's going on here. Right. As they know something is wrong here, but they're not ready to jump to the reality that this is not Jimmy yet. But he is definitely either acting out some sort of game. He's up to something. Right. They realize this is not normal Jimmy act uh, actions. Right. So then this is when Perry comes in and assigns Clark the, the forest fire story. Superman blowed it out. He blowed it out. And Perry comes in and he gets right into it with Collins. I had to watch myself, and I was making my notes because I kept writing Jimmy. Jimmy, right. He forcibly yanks Collins' feet off the desk, and uh, Collins stands up and gets right in his face, and I think, uh, you know, in a way that Jimmy never does. Yeah, never. And I think he realized that he made a mistake here. You think Collins realized he made a mistake? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah, he had to pull back because he, he pulled not to lose his cover. Because he pulled back as soon as Perry challenged him. So what did right. you say? They're like, oh, nothing, nothing. And then, right. he kind of, and then he kind of pulls back. So, right, because he didn't have the information yet. He didn't have what he needed, you know? Well, he didn't he have... Is, he is a professional bad guy. Well, he didn't have what he needed when he uh, blew up on him in Perry's office, so maybe that was just Collins' anger running away with him. Yeah. So it probably, you know, it bothers him that he has to back down here. But he does for the good of his cover. Superman is off to the forest fire, and we... Uh, this was interesting how they just used stock footage of Superman jumping out of the building, or, jump, you know, taking off, 
flying, flying landing, looking, not landing, but flying down. Yeah, it's the 45 degree then, angle descent. And then cut to just a fire, a forest fire, and then dissolve back to the uh, to Clark Kent uh, on the phone talking about it. So, you know, they without actually showing any super feat at all, they totally gave the impression that Superman flew into a fire and uh, put it out. So do you have any kind of picture in your head of what he did here? Uh, he didn't do anything what in reality. Well, yeah, Superman? I, yeah, do you, do you have like a vision in your head of what must have happened? That, what we oh, didn't see because of the description that Clark gave uh, Collins, Jimmy? Yeah. Or Collins, rather? Yeah. Yes, yes, I do. I'm getting the feeling that he kind of just kept flying around in a circle and sucked the oxygen out. Yeah, he did either that. He said that he kind of flew so fast that uh, he created some sort of vortex or right. something. I forget, you know. So a Superboy story I was just reading the other day did the same thing where uh, Superboy just – I was expecting him to do the – make a tornado and fly in circles and lift it up. But he just flew through it so fast that his that suction just pulled along with him. You know, and I think that's interesting. So the suction coming behind him was selective that it only blew out the fire, right. sucked the oxygen out of the fire, but didn't pull all the animals or the loose timber or the leaves or didn't do any of that stuff. That's part of it his superpower. Just, yeah, it just blew out the fire. So I think that's interesting. I, but, want, uh, I want to see someone try to do the water funnel on screen. See them do the what? The water funnel. The water. Oh, oh, right. When he, the post crisis man did this a lot when he would go into the into the river and funnel up the water, right, and have it like arc right over to where it needs to be, right, put out. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah, there's a lot of the silver and bronze age Superman super feats I'd like to see on. I think they tried in the Chris Reeve movies. I think that's what they were trying to do. Especially there. now that that the technology is there to to show those types of things. Exactly. Exactly. Now that the you know, the computers are good enough to handle that now. You know, the Chris Reeve movie, you couldn't do that in a Chris Reeve movie because it would just be too complicated. And it always looked like a guy in a, you know, being dangled from a string in front of a green screen. Right. All right. So let's talk about this phone call between Clark and Collins here. Okay. Obviously, because he, we can't show it. Clark calls in the exposition that Superman flew so fast that he blew out the fire. He, he flew at the flames with such speed that he literally blew them out. He did not actually blow them out. No, he flew at such speed it blew it out. And Collins is Collins is doing his job. He's well, Jimmy's job. Right? He's taking it down, but he's giving some very un-Jimmy-like commentary. Yeah. And then he asks about whether the evidence is safe. You know? Yeah, totally out of the blues, you know, right. on that. And even the way he's and then Clark addressing, tells him, sure. Even the way he's addressing Clark. Hey, Kent. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Either Clark is missing that or he's choosing to ignore it. Yeah, I don't even know what to think of that because Kent would have, should have jumped down his throat on that one. Right. You know, Clark tells him to stop acting like some kind of underworld character. Mm-hmm. But not until later. He didn't do it on the phone he, right he, here, he did does, he? He does say that on the phone. Oh, okay. But that's all he does. Yeah. So. Again, again, his mindset is that Jimmy's just playing some sort of character game thing. Right. Yeah. Collins writes the story very poorly. To say the least. <laughs> but it he is. blowed out the fire. Yes. Any crumb of Superman would have blown his top of Superman blowed out the fire. Yeah. 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 The, the fire was hotter than the hot seat at Sing Sing. 
Not sure how Jimmy would know these things, but apparently right. Collins does. Yeah, what was the line, though, he said about muscled in, that Superman muscled in? Oh, I'll all cape Superman just in time like the FBI. Right. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But I do like the interplay here between Larson and Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Again, it's really, really good. But Perry White doesn't pick up yet on the fact that this is a different guy. Right. It's still Jimmy Olsen, Damn. for some reason, doing really stupid things, and he's just lost his, his mind. Right. And here's where Collins shows that he has no respect for Perry reaching into reaching into the other man's pocket and pulling a cigar. Right. right. So Perry apparently smokes a pretty good cigar too. He apparently smokes a good a pretty good Havana too. Yeah. But in nineteen fifty five, I guess when this was shot. We're yeah. in fifty five, fifty six now, so Yeah, still totally easy legal to get yeah. uh, Havana cigars. This is pre embargo. Mm-hmm. Collins is leaving the clues. But nobody's picking up on him yet. But here comes Lois, because she's going to catch Collins in Clark's office. Bum, 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 yep. bum, 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 bum. Yep, she catches him uh, going into the uh, into the secret cabinet. He's looking for passes, <laughs> but Lois kicks him out. As she would. As she would, and this is when he calls her honey. And <sighs> Honey? Yeah, she she's the only one who's paying any attention here. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It doesn't feel like she has any more contact with Collins than Perry does. You're right. You're right. I thought maybe at first it was that she was just had more, but everybody else has interacted with him a couple of times. But just in the few cues he's given her, she's starting to pick up on the fact that this is just not really Jimmy Olsen. But she's not ready to make the leap yet, though. Mm. It'll click in. Well, yeah, it'll click in because of what she realizes Collins doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Thwarted at uh, the office, Collins decides to go over to Clark's place, and apparently Jimmy is a permanent fixture around Clark's place because his neighbor, Mrs. Cooper, knows him on sight and lets him right into the, right in. Well, I think it's probably accurate. I think uh, they're pals, and Jimmy has probably spent time there and the evening. We know that he's stayed there over the birthday thing, and I think it's a typical thing that... Maybe when they work late, instead of Jimmy driving all the way home to mom out in the burbs, he stays downtown and, and maybe spends the night at Clark's apartment. Right. More concerning that apparently Mrs. Cooper has a key to Clark's place. She probably has a uh, key to everybody's place. Maybe. I thought she was more than just a neighbor. That maybe she was uh, managing the building or something? Yeah, something. Maybe. Something. Something. Or perhaps you she know. is. Yeah, she had more than... You know, because, again, it wouldn't make sense for him just, well, maybe, I don't know, but maybe people did do that. Here's your key to my apartment in case. Well, we we, we used to do that. When, yeah. I, when I was a kid, and if I ever locked myself out of the house, we had a neighbor that had the key. Okay. I guess I always kind of equated it with that. Oh, okay. The, you know, cause I, I, yeah, I always. I was I did that a ton as a kid, lock my, either to get my <laughs> key at home, and if both my parents were at work. Yeah. So. I was so no you were a latch. I were no a latchkey baby. Yep. Well, I was oh. like fourteen. Oh, and I was like around fourteen at this time. So. Oh, yeah, that's fine. That's that was, plenty. I was no stranger to locking myself out of the house. <laughs> Even had to crawl through a window once. So that's yeah. probably why I was equated with that. But Clark just comes into the window anyway. So this is Mrs. Cooper doing kind of doing the wrong thing for the right reason. She probably shouldn't be letting Jimmy into. Clark's place, no matter who he is. Well, I don't know. I think that's 
they probably uh, know each other well enough that right. had it been the real Jimmy, it would have been fine. It would have been fine. No big deal whatsoever. Right. So Collins comes in and you see him uh, very carefully rummaging through Clark, Clark's place. And when I say very carefully, I mean not at all. Not at all. He's throwing it. He's throwing everything all over the place, and uh, he goes into the uh, into the clo- into the closet, and uh, he accidentally finds the false wall. Yeah, that secret closet's not a hidden very. It's but, but one of the easiest things to find in the world of Superman. It's a secret closet. It's a secret. But I'm st- I still think without knowing anything about any of these people, really, he doesn't know really who Clark Kent is, right? No. It's just a guy to him. He's a reporter. Right. So, and just like the other guy that found the costume and the stolen costume, just because you find a Superman costume in somebody's closet doesn't necessarily mean they're Superman. But people always make that leap when they find it in in uh, Clark's apartment. Oh, there's a, it must, he must be Superman. Well, th- there was clearly effort to hide it. Well. But still, don't you hide your Superman stuff in your secret closet? Maybe if I had oh, a secret closet, wait. I would. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> you, you, wait, you have a secret closet? Does, I thought everybody did. I thought that was the purpose. Everybody has a secret closet, and you put your Superman stuff in it. Well. So that people didn't know. That's. I just thought everybody had a secret closet. Well, Clark Kent always seems to have a secret, secret closet, no matter what uh, incarnation I'm glad he has a secret closet. So, but either way... Yeah. Collins kind of almost falls into it. Right. So now he's found the secret closet and the spare costume. At least it's not, uh, you know, Clark and Batman uh, wallpapering the closet door upside down. Right. Right. In the radio show. (laughs) Right. In the radio show. That was pretty funny. That's the one place where Batman was not successful. No. Where only Superman. Yeah. He was not successful in that one. Let's do a little bit of a costume count. Apparently, he's missing one. Because he had two hanging up in there in Panic in the Sky. True. Now, we only see one, but maybe it's just the other one is off somewhere where we can't see it. Right. But I did cool. make a point. Look, there's only one other costume hanging in that closet. Uh, yeah, there was only one costume hanging in the closet. We'll assume he had one on. Right. Panic in the Sky, he had one on. And two hanging in the closet. And two hanging. Uh, Which kind of makes me wonder. Maybe they only had two costumes for him per season in the, in, in the color episodes. It's very possible. Very they possible. just took the other one and hung it up there. Right. And also, the one Panic in the Sky, the one he had on, was not a full costume. It was a sleeveless. They had cut the right. sleeves off of the previous season one because it was just too hot for him to wear the suit. And they wanted to do that opening of the shirt rip thing. Uh, so it's possible so that they were. He only had two for that. For them too. So he had two for that season as well. That they were using an older, because they cut the sleeves off. And if you do a still frame, there's one online, you can actually find a still frame of that online. Where, as he takes and opens his coat and pulls his shirt up, right, you can actually see the sleeve has been cut off of the Superman jersey underneath. Yeah, because it's got to be hot. with The wool shirt underneath that uh you know, that All suit. that other stuff. Yeah, really hot. So there you have it, ladies Some... and gentlemen. But that's not, that's not all that Collins finds in the secret closet. He found something else? Yes, he did. He Apparently, that's where Clark hid the affidavits, too. Oh, great. Not only does he have a Superman costume back there, but he also has half of what Gridley is looking for. Great. So, Collins calls into Gridley, and he's he going to get a pretty big payday for the, 
more so for the Superman costume than anything else. Mm-hmm. Again, Jack Larson doing a great job here oh, on the yeah. phone. Oh, he does. Yeah. He's reporting in, and uh, you can tell that Collins really enjoys mm-hmm. having this secret over Gridley. Yeah. He's not just going to give it to him. Mm. He's going to make sure he gets his pay before. Which comes in later when it's actually Olsen talking to Gridley, and he says, okay, who's Superman? He goes, who's Superman? Good question. Yeah. That, that was a fun bit. I like so. I like that, especially since we get two alleyway scenes. One with Collins exactly. and one with Jimmy. And one with Jimmy, right. And the one with Jimmy, he's pretending to be Collins. Right. But it's actually Jimmy. Well, kid, keep your shirts on. Just wait here. All right, all right. But tell me, who is Superman? That's a good question. No. Better play it his way. He's a pretty tough hombre. So, yeah, again, Jack Larson just does such a good job right. in this one. Well, we're, we're about to go catch up with Jimmy now because we see Jimmy sitting there tied to the chair as Collins calls in. And then as they leave, Maisie comes in and frees Jimmy because she thinks that he's Kid Collins. Mm-hmm. And uh, now here is Jack Larson getting to play Jimmy pretending to be Kid. <laughs> so Now, I don't know if it's just my eyes play tricks on me, but the suit that Jimmy is wearing right now, Kind of reminds me of the suit he wore during King for King for a Day. Yeah, the dark blue suit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you already done that one? Yeah, I've done that one. Okay. Yeah, it might be the same suit. Might be the same suit. So, apparently Kid and Maisie are married, as she says, no one's going to treat her husband the way Gridley's treating Kid. And I'm not sure how affectionate or, or the Kid is, but when Jimmy goes calls her baby, she goes nuts. Mm-hmm. And I love that every time a woman kisses Jimmy, he complains. <laughs> Ooh, bringing a little real-world knowledge to it, are you? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, didn't seem to enjoy the affections from the Baroness and King for a day. Well, maybe he did. Well, I think he did. I after. think he did. Clark was giving him a, yes. bu- a bunch of crap about it. Right. He didn't really enjoy it too much from the Lady in Black. No, and I wouldn't have either. <laughs> I guess he was terrified. Uh, yeah. Anyway, thanks to uh, Collins' antics, uh, Lois has had to work late. Great. Because she had to rewrite the story that Jimmy screwed up, and Clark is still wherever he is. This is kind of the point where I noticed that Clark's been pretty much absent from this episode. Yeah, except for that one, basically, the phone call scene. Right. And the opening scene and the scene in the city room. So, here is the third time. The third scene with Lois and Collins. And she kind of catches Jimmy at the the filing cabinet again. And this is where she figures it out when he doesn't know what a banner headline is. Right. You're not Jimmy Olsen at all. You don't know what a byline is. Yeah, so this is the moment where Collins stops pretending. Mm-hmm. And he pulls a gun on Lois and uh, sits her down. And uh, this is the point where Clark enters the episode again. Nice of him to show up. He comes home to uh, find his apartment ransacked. Uh, Mrs. Cooper is very apologetic. But he's not angry because he's Clark. <laughs> right, right. And he sees the empty hangar. That tells him the Superman suit is gone. And right then he should think, you know, I need to find a better closet. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Start hiding these things somewhere else. Maybe, maybe you should hide them under the cushion of a chair or something. <laughs> it, it worked It worked when Jimmy showed up and panicked in the sky. Yeah. Short term. All right. So, but I think Clark is a little more worried about that the affidavits are gone at the moment. All his work on Gridley has kind of gone out the window if he can't find these things. So. Clark calls uh, the Night Watchman, who apparently uh, keeps track of everybody who 
walks in and out of the building. It's a good thing this guy doesn't have to get up and go to the bathroom. Because somebody could leave and we can miss an important plot point. He has a job to do, and he does it well. He does. He knows that Jimmy is still there. And now we're back to Clark's office, and Colin shows Lois the costume, and she's kind of starting to put together that Clark might be Superman. But I don't know. You think she is? Well, I think she always suspects it, but now him saying that he actually found that in Kent's apartment. Uh, yeah, her mind is going right there. Um, you know, yeah. Well, next week with the wedding of Superman, I'll talk a lot about Lois's subconscious and uh, what she may or may not know. <laughs> right. Enjoy that, by the way. <laughs> Gee, I'm real sorry I can't be here for that, but I have uh, to wash my hair that night. <laughs> <laughs> Because the way Clark acts in that episode, he acts uh, like her subconscious mind is knows the truth. Mm-hmm. He runs down alleys and everything. And why not? Okay, so next Colin wonders who has the key to the filing cabinet. And Lois screws up here. Oops. But you know what? I can understand how she makes this mistake. And she knows it as soon as the words come out of her mouth. Oh, yeah. 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 He looks so much like Jimmy mm-hmm. that she let her guard down. Mm-hmm. And just blurted out the answer because she was talking to Jimmy. And then she kind of, at the last minute, she realized she wasn't talking to Jimmy. Oops. It's an honest mistake. And one that advances the plot. So apparently Perry has a key to Clark's file as well. And now Perry's going to have a long night. Where'd oh, he go? Now, yeah. now we're in the alley. Our first scene in the alley. Jimmy shows up. And uh, Gridley and the gang are get call him over, thinking, of course, he's Collins. <laughs> Gridley is wasting no time asking who Superman is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Jimmy plays the part well, you know, kind of telling the guys to uh, keep their shirts on and he'll go get what they need. But when he plays dumb with regards to the Superman question, Mean seems to want to push his way out of the car. I didn't sure. even notice that. Yeah, you see him kind of put, that's when Gridley tells him to kind of have it his way. Let him do it his way. Mm-hmm. But he's trying, oh, to, get out, right, right, he's trying right. to get out of the car. I don't know what he's planning to do. Right. But these guys have been rendered useless since basically scene two of this episode. Yeah, so they're they're really had it with uh, the kid taking over their whole job. Right. All right. So now we're back up in Perry's office. Uh, Perry is refusing to give Collins the key, and this is where Perry now knows the truth. He knows that it's Collins and not Olsen gone crazy. <laughs> right. This is when Jimmy shows up. He you see him come off the elevator. He walks right to Perry's office and gets through the door and gets knocked out. And they what a sh- clever way to keep them from having to show them both on camera at the same time again. They did, And yeah. yet give the impression that they did show them both on camera. Yeah, because I, I watched this scene a couple times to me, to see how they shot it. Mm-hmm. Jimmy comes in, it's a quick cut to Collins, hitting him. Right. And then you just see Jimmy falling. Right. Which that, the falling, the Jimmy falling may not have been Jack Larson. Yeah, it could have been anybody. That could have... That could have been the stuntman laying on the floor while uh, mm-hmm. they did, while Jack Larson and Perry did the rest of the scene. Mm-hmm. But it's um, again the direction, the editing, and the I don't know if you call it cinematographer and television. Sure, why not? Yeah, but I think all of that is done really well in this episode. Yeah, it's crafted very well. Mm-hmm. There are no moments where you look at one of them and say, "No, that's someone else." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You go- You're you go back to the to the face and the voice when Superman goes in and rescues Jimmy, pulls all the gold out of the back of the truck. Right. You see, you see the the, the fake double. Suit, the double jump out, and you you know what? Yeah, it's clearly not George. Reeves. Clearly not him. Right. In Divide and Conquer, that we'll get to uh, down the road a bit. You'll the stunt 
double is on screen quite a bit. Right. And fr- from the back, it's obviously not George Reeves. So, um, particularly in the color episode, the hair is different, the posture, right. everything. But I think in this one. But I do believe in Divide and Conquer, there is a scene where they're talking to each other and you see both, both of them on screen. Yes. On screen a, in profile shots. Yeah, double exposure. Yeah, so that time it worked. Yeah, that time it worked. But there were parts of that where uh, it's a stuntman helping him get the uh, prison bars off the window. Right. And uh, a few other places. And it's pretty obviously a stuntman if you look. Oh, they're going to they're gonna do it the easy way wherever they can, obviously. Yeah, obviously. But uh, but back to this, I think they do just a terrific job with both the how they use the, the stunt people or the doubles for Jimmy and how they're doing the quick edits and the cuts and the totally giving the impression that both of them are right there. Right. This is just a, a great sequence. They never give an indication that they cut a corner to show them both together. Right. Perry is now very concerned about his employees, you know, and you know what? Perry showed some concern for Jimmy. Which, once again, it shows, in, you know, uh, all the way from the first season, it shows that, yes, gruff, 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 but when chips are down, he cares for Jimmy. As soon as he's knocked out, Perry is out of his chair. Mm-hmm. So, Perry gives up the key, and he makes a deal with Collins. A ten-minute head start. Who is the bigger fool in this scene, Collins or Perry? That's a good question. But, you know, they made a point. Well, oh, that's in the next episode. But right. they, uh, they often make the point that, upstanding people give their word and they keep their word. Right. So, I mean, doesn't Collins kind of have to kill them all here? And uh, Yeah, I guess he should, but, you know, he's giving them, you know, as long as... He's thinking if they give me a head start, I get away, I'm fine. Right. So... If you're a criminal, how much are you willing to risk on that? Well, you have to weigh that out. Murder is, you know, depends on the state, man. You don't get out of that. So far, he hadn't killed anybody yet. Well, they were going to kill Jimmy. But that hadn't happened yet. They just threatened to, they tied him up, right, but they, they didn't actually try to kill him yet. Well, yeah, they were going to do it when they got back. Right. So, so far, it's just basically breaking and entering and some burglary and maybe some, what do they call it? Something of taking a person against their will or something. Yeah, but, imprisonment. He doesn't even take a hostage. Once, once right. Collins leaves, there is nothing to stop Harry from running right to that phone. No, of course not. Except that he gave his word. Right. So he gave his word. And but he that's does, a point that he, they make. And Perry uh, does uh, make uh, that point because he gave his word. And they say that several times in throughout this series. When the good guy gives their word, and in fact in the next episode, trying to buy off Lois and she just no, you just don't get it. No, there's you can't right. do that. See, I told you they have morals, good people are do that and this is the same instance of that. I probably would have broken my word and called the police as soon as I was safe. Oh, before he got downstairs. Right. I would have let the cops know immediately when he hit the elevator. He's in the elevator. He's coming down. Right. Yeah. So. But but we're low lives and we have no morals. But Collins does know they're in trouble because he gets down in that alley and he's frantic. Yeah. There he comes now. Where's your top coat? I got the marked money and I got the affidavits. What do I care about a top coat? Yeah, but you Olsen showed up and I had to clobber him. You mean the guy we saw here a few minutes ago was Olsen, not you? That's about right. We're all as hot now as a fireman's hat. 
We better get out of town fast. Okay, back to my office and clean out the safe. Because now he knows they're hot. Right. And the Gridley's worried about the top coat, and I love the response. This scene is so un-Jimmy. Yeah. It's definitely not Jimmy. I got the mark money and I got the affidavit. What do I care about a top coat? Exactly. And then that's when Gridley realizes that they saw Olsen before and not Colin. Right. But apparently, Colin's left the Superman costume behind. Well, he left it in Perry's office. Right. That was his real payoff, and he just abandoned it. Yeah, you would have thought he would have seen the implications and held on to that for something. Right. But uh, panic, I guess. He panicked, took the key, and ran. Yeah. All right, so Superman shows up. And I'm not sure if 10 minutes have passed yet, but Jimmy comes to. He says, Gridley. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Superman uh, gets caught thinking out loud a little bit when Lois says that a character looks exactly like him, and the light bulb kind of hits over Superman's head a little bit. Right. And then he just tells Perry when Perry questions him, he's like, no, there's nothing important right now, sir. Yeah. And, that, and that's the end of that. Yeah. He does that a lot. He does. As both people. As Clark and as Superman. As Superman. It's not important right now. Don't worry about that now. Perry is less, less inclined to argue with Superman than with Clark. Right. So, Jimmy wakes up, groggily says, gridly, and Superman knows where to go. And uh, Superman beats them back to the office. As Grid when they get that, Gridley can't get into the safe. But Superman did. Apparently, the synopsis says he was holding the safe shut. It's nice that when the bad guys want to do their next quick little scene here after they can't get into the vault, they back away and take two steps to the right to make sure they're not in front of the door when Superman kicks it open. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's like in the big freeze when the uh, the two election workers got up from their table, so... Just in time, right. <laughs> Just in time for a little Jack to hit Superman with the chair. <laughs> right. So. And then they came right back. Yeah, it's just funny staging. So, Except in King for a Day, that dictator was standing very close to where Superman bursted through that wall. He might have gotten hit by some of the little wooden bricks. You can tell he jumped. It scared him. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one in a while. Uh, Superman kicks the door to, uh, to the store out of the safe. I don't know what he did with all the shelves. While he was standing in there, but so Collins shoots at him, at him to no avail, and and when Gridley tells him to stop shooting, Collins just drops the gun. And yeah, this, and this is the episode, the episode fight that I like to poke fun at a lot. This because is the, he takes three of them out with the first punch, and then Collins with the next one. Yeah, four guys it's with like two a, punches. It's like a Three Stooges move. It is slap, slap, slap. And I watched, yeah. and I watched it. He got them all. He got them all. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Then Colin takes the poke at him, and he blocks that, and then uh, knocks Colin out. Yeah, I guess Jack Larson wanted to take a Superman punch. Mm -hmm. I just like how after that, Superman just kind of leans on Gridley's desk right. and right. feels just very good of, about himself. Right. Yeah, but I was thinking, too, that yeah, Jack must have liked that, getting to shoot a gun <laughs> at George and uh, having a quick little fight with him there, a yeah. little two-punch fight. Yeah, so I look – I don't know if it's the lights, but – the, the blue and Superman suit looked real bright in that one in that scene, though. At the very end, it looked like it got all washed out. Yeah. Yeah, real bright. Yeah. So, we get to the end now. We're back at the planet, and Clark still has to explain away the costume. And apparently he reminds uh, Perry about a story he's doing for the Sunday magazine. Yeah. Mm. A story about Superman's day-to-day -day existence. And apparently he's taking his sweet time with it. And now I have a costume. Yeah. We know what it looks like. Oh, yeah, blue tights and all that other stuff. Yeah. As if Superman hadn't been around for years at this point. Exactly. 
And, and as if Clark Kent's going to actually write a story about his day-to-day life and what he likes and dislikes. Right. What do all I right. dislike? People ask me what I do all day. Yeah, exactly. Clark doesn't ask Lois to give the costume back. <laughs> I guess he doesn't want to give it back himself. Yeah. Well, here, Lois, just next time you see Superman, give him back his costume. Yeah. But he does ask her, should we give it back to him now? Yeah. She doesn't answer. The episode just kind of fades out after that. But mm-hmm. I got to think Lois is going to do the right thing and give the costume back to him. But he's actually admitting that the costume that Clark Kent had in his apartment was actually Superman's costume. Yes, he did. So there you have it. Apparently, Superman just kind of lent it to him. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what kind of pictures he has, but you think he'd <laughs> want a picture of, Super- of Superman in it. In it, yeah, you'd think. I, I don't think George Reeves is taking a selfie. No. A good one. Yeah, I like this episode. I think it's a good one. I think it's a solid, totally fun episode to watch. And by fun, it's not a silly one. It's not one of those real stupid, silly ones. No. I think they play it pretty straight the whole time. And it's just a nice little, you know, good guy, bad guy, double, you know, actor getting to play two parts. Good episode. Good episode. Definitely. And I think we've done this one to death. Yes, we have. So let's take a quick break. I'll play a promo. And we'll come back with The Girl Who Hired Superman. Hang around, folks. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Girl Who Hired Superman. The original broadcast date was May 5th, 1956. Writer was David Chandler. And director was Phil Ford. Guest cast was John Eldridge, an old alum of the show. We previously saw him in Crime Wave and Shot in the Dark. And we'll see him again at least one more time after this episode. He will play the role of Jonas Rockwell, Lynn Guild as Millie, George Corey as Caspar, Maurice Marsak as Aresto El Centro Jones, and I don't believe that's all of his name. No, it's not. There's a lot more. There's a Cinquenta or something or other in his name, too. Yeah, I think there's five. Yeah. And and Jones. And Jones, exactly. Right. Aresto Dominia La Scala La Cuesta El Centro Jones. This is uh, Maurice Marsak's second appearance on the show. He was one of the counterfeiters in The Birthday Letter. Oh, yeah, right. He was the guy that was trying to interrogate the little girl. Right, and not doing a very good job of it. Right. Well, he was scaring the crap out of her. Yes, yes. Which generally, he generally doesn't work on kids. No. They just get angry and yell at you. Yeah. And uh, Gloria Talbert was Mara Van Cleaver. Gloria Talbert. Seen her do some other stuff, but I can't really place her right now of exactly what but she did some horror movies didn't she that was what i was gonna say i think she did some horror movies some universal horror movies at the time but i don't know which ones right now but that's where i 
seem to just off the top of my head place her in something, right. one of those. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. Your number one source for Superman on the web. Here is Mara Van Cleaver's guardian, Jonas Rockwell, and Oresto El Centro Jones, a diplomat from South Argonia, are partners in crime whose plans have been ruined by Superman recently. However, Rockwell has an idea. Mara is to place a classified ad in the Daily Planet. I help you. If you can't, you have no business drawing a salary. I want to place this ad in the planet. Superman. I want to hire you. Name your own price. Contact box 243 immediately. At least you can read. How much will that be? Hi, right. Millie. Can I use your pen, please? Hello, oh, Mr. Kent. Yes, I certainly. said how much. Let's see. Uh, One-inch ad in the personals would I be... I didn't say personals. I want a full page. Full page? It's only two or three lines. Uh, you, uh, do you have something to do with this paper? Well, I work here. Yes, may I see the ad? For heaven's sake, you think it was against the law to advertise. Uh, not against the law, but in this case, it's a waste of money. I'll take care of this, Millie. I beg your pardon. My name is Mara Van Cleaver. I waste more money in a day than you make in a year. Ah, yes. Mara Van Cleaver, madcap heiress. Well, it just so happens that Superman is not for sale. Oh, dear. He sounds terribly stuffy. I know. I'll give Superman $10,000 and he can donate it to some equally stuffy charity. Well, there's a possibility in that. What did you want him to do? Why should I discuss it with you? Oh, uh, my name is Kent, Clark Kent. I work here in the papers, I told you. And I've been known to contact Superman. Oh, all right. I'll leave it in your hands then, Mr. Kent. You still haven't told me what you want him to do. I'm giving a private party just for laughs, and I want Superman to entertain. There'll only be one guest there, a visiting diplomat from South Argonia. Oh, South Argonia? Yes. And the diplomatic relationship between his country and ours might well depend upon his being properly impressed and entertained. At least my guardian seems to think so. It sounds like it could be important. Well, then you give Superman my message? Yes, I'll phone you his decision tomorrow. Oh, fine. The party's at 8 o'clock Tuesday evening. And be sure to tell Superman to make a spectacular entrance. And have a photographer there. Oh, yes, ma'am. Oh, just to make everything official, here's the $10,000. I think cash is so much nicer than a check. Don't you? Mara is somewhat suspicious of Jonas and the rest of his nervous behavior and obscure references. It's 4000 you owe me. After tonight, that will be peanuts. What do you mean by that? Nothing. Just an idle remark, my dear. Such a country, lightning without rain. Just a summer heat storm, Oresto. Don't let it disturb you. We could start many fires, which could keep your police and fire people busy tonight. What an odd thing to say. You mustn't insult our guest, Mara. Come. I want you to see Mara's collection of rare editions. I'm not interested in rare editions. I know you, fool, but a few more references to the police might ruin everything. It is not the police I worry of. It is this Superman. I assure you that we have nothing to fear from that source. How can you be sure? When Gaspar is doing his job, Superman will be in this room entertaining you. Here, in this very room? Exactly. For once, someone's going to make a fool of him. Now pull yourself together. I will try. Yes, uh, these are lovely additions. In addition to that, the telephone lines have been disconnected to prevent anyone from making any calls, particularly to the police. 
Before more can be discussed, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen arrive to do a feature story and photos for the planet. Jonas Rockwell may have all the bases covered for his next evil scheme. As Superman astounds all with his superhuman feats, Caspar has stolen plates used for engraving $20 bills from the DA's office. You requested a spectacular entrance, Miss Van Cleaver. I hope that was satisfactory. Also, I hope that uh, you can afford to have that window repaired. Of course, and I do believe you're going to earn that charity money. Superman, I believe this is the first time I've seen you and I haven't been in trouble. In fact, no one seems to be in trouble tonight. I'd like to present my guardian, Jonas Rockwell, and our guest, Arresto di Minia La Scala. La Cuesta El Centro Jones. Welcome to our country, sir. It is indeed a pleasure to have you here. You have no idea what pleasure. I believe you could safely uh, dismiss Caspar now, sir. With Superman here, I'm sure you don't need a bodyguard. Segoya nu pasto canadido. Well, I'll take you places, everyone. The curtain's about to go up. Now, wait just a moment. Entertaining isn't exactly in my line, but I'm going to try. May I borrow that diamond of yours? My diamond? Please. Well, I guess you can't hurt it. Diamonds are the world's hardest substance. Thank you. Well, first, we'll pop the stone from its setting. And then... Stone was worth a fortune. He has ruined it. I don't mind paying for entertainment, but really, Superman. Your diamond isn't destroyed. Your brooch? I can't believe it. It takes tons of pressure to mold a diamond. You did it with your bare hands. Caspar later delivers the objects to Jonas, who has hidden them in a photo-negative folder. After Jimmy takes a group shot, and now, Superman, I have one final great favor to ask of you. In honor of our distinguished guest, would you deliver this negative to his family in Argonia? It's something they would never forget. You're asking a great deal, Mr. Rockwell. Yes, yes, I don't think you should ask him to... Of course, he will be suitably rewarded with additional funds for charity. You must think of your family arrest, though. That's what I am thinking of. Very well, Mr. Rockwell. Give me the film. We'll never forget this. And I'm speaking for the country as a whole, of course. The address is number two, Plaza del Patio. Number two, Plaza del Patio. All right. Goodbye, all. the light, my friend. I'm not from the lightning. Exactly. A superhuman delivery boy who thinks he's carrying a simple photographic negative. Actually, it was the only way to get our merchandise past the customs officials. A stroke of genius. As I said before, it's time that someone made a fool of Superman. Jonas has explained his true intentions to Mara. <laughs> <laughs> What is this, a laughing hyena contest? The laugh is on Superman and the customs officials. <laughs> customs? Why should there be any trouble getting a picture through customs? Arresto was only joking, my dear. I demand to know what this is all about. 
Very well. I'll tell you. You're in it now, anyway. Sit down. I'll give it to you quickly and without interruption. Now, look, Jerry. I said without interruption. To begin with, Arresto here is no diplomat. He is a competent, if not too highly intelligent, contact man. I've used him several times before in diamond transactions. Is that what happened to my tiara? And Be quiet. As for tonight, I'll have to go back about a month. At that time, Superman trapped a counterfeiting ring. This ring had the most perfect plates for engraving $20 bills ever made. Superman turned those plates over to the district attorney as evidence. Tonight, Caspar stole those plates out of the district attorney's files. And they are what Superman is now flying to Argonia. It would be too risky to print the money here. That's why the former owners of the place were caught. Exactly. Now, do you understand, my dear? Why, Jonas? We have more money than we need. As a matter of fact, we're broke. <sighs> That's impossible. Is it? Between us, we've spent every cent you inherited. You had no right. Of course not. But your lavish ways are contagious. I embezzled everything you didn't throw away. I'll have you thrown in jail for this. Will you? And then what? Can you picture Mara Van Cleaver, a penniless working girl? I still have my diamonds. Imitation. I had them made up. The real ones went long ago. Play with us, and you'll be rich again. I don't know what to do. Well, let me put it this way. You have no choice. I could swear that you were an accomplice to everything that happened tonight. After all, it wasn't I who hired Superman. Lois and Jimmy have just returned to the Daily Planet. I want to get these developed tonight so I can catch the early edition. Right, I'll get the story on paper. Miss Lane, mm -hmm. I used six holders tonight. Well, minus the one you gave away makes five. Well, that's just it. I still got six exposed holders. So you took an extra one. I saw Superman put the film holder in his belt. And I found one on a table behind some books. Are you sure, Jim? Positive. When these are developed, I'm willing to bet my bow tie that that group picture's among them. Then Superman isn't caring what he thinks he is. Maybe they have an explanation, Jim, but I'd like to get back there and hear it. Let's go. Jonas and Aresto plan to leave for Argonia with the reluctant Mara. Wanting answers. Lois and Jimmy confront the counterfeiters. You forgot something? Uh, no, but you did. You forgot to tell us about that extra film holder. What extra film holder? You know what I mean. We thought we'd give you a chance to explain before we called the police. If you insist. The explanation is that you stumbled onto something that may very well cost you your lives. We must have the wrong house. I guess the wrong house is the right house. Take them away. No. We're in trouble enough. You stay out of this. Would you let them go if they promised not to breathe a word of this? They're people of honor, so I would accept their promise. But I'm quite sure they wouldn't give it because they are people of honor. Would you promise if within six months we we send you $50,000? A hundred thousand? I feel sorry for you. You still think money is the answer to everything. You see, my dear? You'll be locked in a bomb shelter built underground in the backyard. The walls are lead-lined against atomic radiation, which means that even Superman's X-ray vision can't see through them to find you. There'll be enough food and water for a few days. After that, you'll have to live on your integrity. 
As Metropolis Inspector Bill Henderson has been called about the theft of the engraving plates, Clark Kent has confronted Jonas and Arresto by Superman's delivery. Mr. Kent. Good evening. So you're the famous reporter. Oh, not so famous. I'm here at the request of Superman. Oh, he left about an hour ago. As you can see, we're about ready to leave ourselves. I'm afraid not. You see, the police will be here in about 15 minutes. You wouldn't get very far. The police? I do not understand. I think you do. Counterfeiting, remember? And where is this Superman now? Well, that isn't important. But he wanted me to get here ahead of the police to see if you'd come along peaceably. Because of him, Casper, we will never see Argonia again. I no see Argonia no more. He couldn't have missed. Casper never misses. Then you, you're a Superman. I wouldn't say that. Let's just say that I'm very lucky. The engraving plate, bent, ruined. Bullet must have hit it. Little good it does us. As our little venture is ruined. But, so far as evidence is concerned, there's just Kent's word against ours, one against four. So, good night, Mr. Kent. If you're ever in Argonia, look us up. What about the police? They can't stop us from getting on the plane. First, tell me what you've done with Lois and Jimmy. It's none of your business, Mr. Kent. So why don't you just go away and leave us alone? All right, Miss Van Cleaver. I guess you win. Just a minute. I'll take that. Take what? Your friends are in the bomb shelter in the back of the house. Really, Mara, that wasn't very clever. Mr. Kent, now that you know where your friends are, I couldn't possibly let you go. It would mean two more witnesses on your side. As for you, my dear, since you're so interested in the others, perhaps you better join them. In the bomb shelter. Clark, what in the world gave him the tip-off? Well, when Superman did the diamond trick, he knew it must be fake because it broke so easily. But Mara obviously knew nothing. I certainly didn't. That's what he thought. Anyway, he decided to play along to see what their game was. Also, he wanted to know who their undercover man was in Argonia. Well, at least we got the best equipped bomb shelter in the world. A radio, water enough to last a month, a stove, a first aid kit. Did I say a radio? Clark, if it would only work, what would we call? Well, if we can get in the police van, we can call Inspector Henderson. That's a good idea. But those batteries are dead. Maybe it's that aerial. Might just work at that. What might just work? What are you talking about? You know, Mr. Kent, sometimes Miss Lane actually thinks you're Superman. So why don't you just bust out of here? Well, now, Jamie, if I did that, you'd be sure, wouldn't you? Anyway, I want you all to go in this next room. I have a little idea. Come on. It may be a little dangerous, and I don't want anyone else to share that. Come on. Out we go. Thank you. What's he doing? It might be dangerous, he says. Since when is he such a hero? Of course I can break out of here. Can you imagine the embarrassing questions? The summer electrical storm outside may be the key to assisting Superman as a bolt of lightning strikes the aerial antenna. Clark's hands are the device's contacts, allowing power to flow to its battery. Clark is able to call Henderson. Jonas, Arresto, and Caspar are arrested before they can get to an airplane to Argonia. This time, Superman wasn't needed to rescue his friends, at least in his familiar red and blue costume. Some days later, Mara Van Cleaver is working 
as a copy girl for the Daily Planet. Here are the proofs you wanted, Mr. Kent. Oh, fine. Put them right down here, will you? Mara. Mara Van Cleaver. What are you doing here? I'm your new copy girl. No, that's for wonderful. For once, I'm doing something on my own, you know? It's a good feeling. I'll bet it is. But you're not exactly penniless, you know. You still have that 10000 you gave Superman. It's in the office safe. Oh, no, no. That money was intended to go to Superman's favorite charity, and it still is. I'm only glad to see the last of the Van Cleaver money doing some good. There'll be a lot of kids at summer camp that'll feel the same way about it. Thanks, Mara. Thanks a lot. So, Bob, what do you think of this one? It was okay. Mm. <laughs> it was okay. It's, um, you know, I like the bad guy again. You know, we saw him in Crime Wave. He's one of my favorites from Crime Wave. John Eldridge never disappoints. Yeah, he's really good. So he's he's a, you know, a calm, collected, bad guy, head guy. Never plays a henchman. He's always the he's head always guy. He's always the boss. And his, always brother, the boss. his brother did an episode, too. Brother did an episode. Yeah. Clark Kent Outlaw. His brother, George Eldridge, was the Thomas Wingate. The guy who oh, the, uh, the... Really? Yeah. Wow. See, I missed that episode, so I'll uh, I'll have to go back and look at that Clark Kent Outlaw. Wow. Okay. Good. See. Good. 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 Yeah, but John um, Eldridge is always the boss. The boss. You always don't, the you, boss. You don't look the way he does and play a henchman. No, you don't. So he always plays the boss. He's a good boss, and just you know, all of the henchmen, all of the bad guys. In fact, all of the characters are their visual uh, perfect. They all look like their part. You know. Yes. All of them. They, you know, Casper looks like the bad guy, the mob, the muscle, the guy that he looks like a henchman. Yeah, the guy that's really going to lose it and kill somebody. Right. The so-called Lala Palala Walala Manana Lalala Jones. Arresto Dominia La Scala La Cuesta El Centro Jones. Is is he looks like a swarmy, swarthy, sleazy? I don't know. He he looks the part, and she looks like a little heiress. She does. Little you know. spoiled, a little, little spoiled little brat. Yeah, but very cute, very attractive. Um, so they all look like their parts. They're all doing a great job. And I always question, though, when we get into it, though, I always question when a reporter says, ah, now we've got the goods on them. We know they're crummy, dot, dot, dot. Instead of calling the cops, they all say, well, let's go back and confront them with it. Why don't you call the cops? Well, my uh, my first question is, why don't you develop those things and make sure you have what you think you have. Right. Before you go running back there and... Uh, and confront them, right. But anyway, yeah, that's... Oh, there's going to be a lot of that so, in this episode. I have some bones to pick with this episode. Yeah, so I think that's... Those are... So I think we're probably on the same page, that it's... It would not be on my favorite of the color episodes, but there are episodes that I don't like more. Right. So the concepts basically bother me, too. I could see him doing it, Superman showing up if he thought something was up. But until he actually did it, I don't think he knew anything was up. He just agreed to show up for the charity money. And be a court jester for a few minutes. And be a little, yeah, exactly. Now, maybe we read it wrong. Maybe he did know right away from talking to her when she was placing the ad that he thought something, or at least a story was in it, something was up that he would do. Because obviously, when he left with the, what, we're supposed to believe was the plate. Superman didn't fly to France with it or wherever he was supposed to fly to Argolia. Yeah, Argonia. Or whatever. No. So, so maybe he did know. But anyway, uh, yeah, well, he, I would not Clark rate Clark explained later that he, that he did know. He figured it out during his performance. Right, 
when he crushed the the diamond and etc. Right. So okay, but yeah. So uh, no, I like the obviously of the two we're talking about tonight. uh, Jimmy the Kid blows this one out of the water. Oh, absolutely, absolutely does. Yeah. On to the play by play. All right, and we start off with John Eldridge, and you know what? You can't go wrong starting off with John Eldridge. No, you can't. Again, yeah, uh, we've already said that, but you cannot go wrong with this guy. He's and just really good, bad guy. He is going <laughs> to manipulate Superman into committing his crime for him. We don't know what he means at first, but we're going to find out. Right. We meet Mara. Apparently, she's at the classified desk where Clark just happens to be hanging around because of plot. <laughs> and uh, right. Mara is the typical rich girl who hasn't been slapped enough as a kid. Apparently. Because she's pretty snarky at everything and every comment. And she is. Hurry up, you by the hour peon. Hurry up. Right. You know, even Millie asking, you know, it's typical. Can I help you? And she's like, well, we, you, if you can't, you have no business drawing the salary. So, yeah, so, right off the bat. And I'm going to go me right off the bat and say Millie doesn't get paid enough to put up with this crap. I'm sure she does not. And, you know, she points out to Clark that she makes uh, wastes more money in a day than Clark makes in a year. So she's saying all the things that would make would endear you to her. Right. But for some reason, Clark is finding her interesting enough. Either at first I thought, you know, you would think he's just telling Millie, don't worry, Millie, I'll take care of this. Right. To, to brush her off. Superman's not going to show up and play clown at your little party. And I think he was trying to brush her off. But something interested him. Something piqued his interest. At first, I think he was kind of uh, trying to bail Millie out of this because he does make the comment that what she's doing is a waste of money. Right. So I think at first he was just going to try to make this go away. but And he tells her flat out that Superman is not for sale. Right. And it seems like Mara is used to be is used to throwing money at things and getting them. Nothing is not for sale to her. Right. Thinks he sounds like, what, a boring stiff? Is that what she called him? He, he sounded incredibly stuffy or something like that. Yeah, something, yeah. I don't think she was expecting to buy Superman outright. No. Because she moved very quickly into the uh, giving him $10,000 for charity type of thing. Right. So this was probably the uh, the plan all along. It's probably what Eldridge told her, the boss told her to say, right. to do. Because he knows how moral people are. <laughs> right, he does. And <clears throat> by Mara, how old do you, would, do you think she's supposed, was supposed to think she is? Uh, 22. Because she describes Jonas as her guardian. Her guardian, exactly. Right. Maybe he has some kind of legal arrangement? Probably. We don't know for how long that's been. Where uh, where this guy came from. Right. But she is, she is an adult. I'm, I think they are playing her as an adult, not a child. Right. Or a minor. She doesn't appear to be in charge or, of her fortune. Uh, right. Or of anything other than spending it. Right. It appears as though Jonas has access to it, too. Whether he's supposed to or not is an open question. But Right. She basically wants Superman to put on a show for Arresto because diplomatic relations with South Argonia absolutely depend on this. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. I would think Clark Kent would have seen right through that for the first, as soon as the words came out of her mouth. Right. For some reason, he goes along with it. Maybe for the charity money. Right. I don't think it was for the money. That's the thing that bothers me a little bit about this, is I think they needed to play up that angle that Clark smells something fishy. Right. He's only doing this because he knows something's wrong right. somewhere, and I think they should have let us in on that. They should have played Clark's knowledge of 
this is not quite right. Because they even make us think that Clark's now doing it for the charity because she because she said, "Okay, I'll do the you know the ten grand to any of your charities." And they even left us believing that later when what's his face the boss says we'll add more money to the charity if he'll take the photo with him. And, and then that's what kind of convinces him. We're led to, to do believe it. he can. It convinces him to do it because to do it. He's exactly. he's heaven and hawing about it before that. Exactly. So. Like, yeah, so I'm a little disappointed there that for some reason they decided to keep the viewer on the side of, well, Superman's kind of doing this for the charity money, as opposed to Clark thinking something's up, therefore Superman shows up to do this. Unless, we'll get to that scene later, but maybe Superman is trying not to see me too eager. Yeah, I guess. But the information we're led to believe here and there is that he's doing it for the charity money. Exactly. Which is... Not in Superman's character. No. He will do things to raise help raise money for charity. Absolutely. But, but, but. He uh, won't take money to. Yeah, this would have been a whole different thing. So that's why I think they should have played up the angle that even if he says, okay, I accept the money or whatever, they should have played up the angle that Clark knew something was fishy. But I don't know if you noticed right as the scene faded when she gave him the $10,000 saying that cash. She likes cash more or something than checks, don't checks, you yeah. think? And as she's walking away, Clark flips that wad of cash down on the desk and kind of flips it like, oh, jeez, are you kidding me? I missed that. Yeah. So if you watch that again, just as it's fading out, you see him flip the money uh, off to the desk and kind of roll his eyes. Yeah. So I think they needed to play that up a little more, that Kent knew something's up and that's the only reason he's doing it is for either a the story or to find out if there is really trouble a mystery of something not up and up going on right yeah so then the next scene is we're back at at the mansion or whatever it is they live in and apparently rockwell is in the hole four thousand dollars to mara although he's actually in the hole a lot more but (laughs) according to her math he owes her four thousand dollars for something yeah, for some sort of game they're playing. Cribbage, Rummy, Scrabble. <laughs> Who knows? Some game they're playing. Looks like some sort of a card game. I thought that was a backgammon board in front of them. It could be backgammon. Could have been backgammon. Makes more sense, actually. Yeah. So, Arresto, Cyrano Jones. Arresto Dominia La Scala La Cuesta El Centro Jones. Wait, no, Cyrano Jones is somebody else. Yeah, that's Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll just stick with the rest, though. Even IMDb didn't have his full name. So, mm. this guy can't keep his own mouth shut. No. No, he's he's going to first he's going to comment about the lightning storm, which is going to uh, become important later. Which is the only reason he said it at that point. He said it several times to make sure we got it. Yeah, it's probably the only reason they have the lightning there was for that. I wonder if they worked backwards from that. Well, I'm sure yeah. Oh, great. Now we got him in the room. How do we get him out? Well, if there was lightning... Oh, okay, great. Now we need to go back and set up a lightning storm. Well, I like to think that David Chandler is a smart enough... Is that who wrote it? Uh, yes, I think it was Chandler. I like Chandler. to think that David Chandler, who's written some good episodes, is smart enough yes, he to, has. to see the lightning throughout. Right. He may have written it backwards, yeah, so... You know, someone had to write this full dialogue. Because <laughs> he, cannot, he cannot keep his mouth shut. No, no. And... He's, just he's apparently upset at the lightning without the rain. Yeah, it, it's really bothering him. <laughs> it really bothers him a lot. It's freaking him out, but you know, it's a, that happens. 
in the summer. Maybe they don't have summer where he's from. Maybe South Argonia only has winter. No, it's got to be summer there all the time. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, Who knows? I've seen plenty of lightning without rain. Yeah, all the time. He's mentioning that lightning will keep the police and the firefighters busy, and Mara's ears are up a little bit. Mm-hmm. She hears what he's saying, and uh, Jonas will t- comes over and says, let's go check out the encyclopedias, and <laughs> tells him to keep his mouth shut. Now he doesn't say encyclopedias. You're being you're being facetious there. I am being facetious. The rare editions. <laughs> the rare editions. <laughs> Whatever they are, Arresto could give a crap about them. Don't How just... rare can they be? They look pristine, like they just came off of the press. Amazing. Maybe uh, Jonas stole the press after they printed them. I guess. After Jonas tells Arresto to keep his mouth shut before he ruins everything, Lois and Jimmy arrive. Uh... Mary has a few nasty comments about a woman reporter. How quaint. Yeah, how quaint. Yeah, Lois rises to the occasion and snips back at her. So she's mm-hmm. not taking any crap. Meow. Oh, yeah. no, more like meow. Yeah. You know, Lois has to play opposite a woman for a change. Once in a while, this series will remember that Lois is a woman. Every once in a while. Right. Every once in a while. So, Superman comes flying in and uh, breaking the window, making that spectacular entrance that he was paid so handsomely for. Mm-hmm. Mara's making a comment, I'm sure that you can afford to repair that. Yeah, I'm sure they can. It's still, yes, you can repair it, but there's a storm brewing out there. Now my window's broken. <laughs> Thanks wait, a lot, Soups. Wait till it actually does start raining. Yeah. yeah that couch is going to get all wet. Yeah. So, Mara is impressed. Arresto just standing there with his really long name. Arresto Dominia La Scala La Cuesta El Centro June. So now it's, now it's time for the show. Boring show, too. Oh, yeah, well. Superman is not much of an entertainer, apparently. Mm-mm. Ripping a phone book? Well, first he crushes the diamond, and uh, Arresto has a cow over this. Yeah. I don't know about how much uh, it cost. Did he? I don't know why he's the word. Did he pay for it? And he knew it was fake. Yeah. He, she didn't, but she he didn't. did. They, Jonas and he knew. But, but the girl didn't. No. And... So he didn't have any room to complain. Well, Arresto apparently likes the sound of his own voice. Apparently. Because he does, he does talk a lot. Yeah. He does. And he's talking mostly to, to his own detriment. Mm-hmm. So he crushes the diamond and puts it back together. Mara's impressed, but <laughs> no one else is. And as this is going on, this is being intercut with Caspar breaking into the DA's office to steal the counterfeit plates. So now Superman's gonna are going to rip a phone book. Arresto continues to be not impressed, at least until Superman puts two halves of the book on top of each other and rips it in half again. I'm not sure if Arresto was impressed by this either. Yeah, I don't think he was really impressed. Because Superman kind of challenges him. I like this exchange. Where if the first time he says, yeah, I've seen men do that before. Yeah, have you seen him do this? And then... uh, Yeah, he rips it twice. Yeah. And no, that that is... Yeah, you can't do that. I did did like uh, Jonas's line. Well, he just did it. Apparently, Hmm. if he just did it, it's not impossible. Right, exactly. But the guy said it's still impossible. It's still impossible. It's impossible for him. He's not going to be able to do it. Exactly. He probably can't get his so. hands around uh, that much phone book. Mm-mm. All right. Then after that, Superman does his best impression of my cat jumping onto the fireplace. Mm-hmm. Backwards. Backwards. Because I believe this is the same shot as when he jumps down. It is. It's the same. It's the jump down shot. Yeah. Played backwards in reverse. Because no one is jumping up on a fireplace backwards. Uh, no. And the scene where he jumps up looks a little washed out. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see reverse shots twice. We see it here when he jumps backwards up. And then when he 
bends the fireplace tools back. Right. You can definitely see the difference in the color between the forward shot and the reverse shot. Right. They're a little more high contrast, not as sharp as the normal. And these are pretty good prints. Even on the DVDs we have now, these are pretty good prints. So, But you can definitely see they're absolutely right. There's a definite change. I always thought, even as a kid, I always thought that him jumping backwards up on the fireplace thing was weird. It is weird. It's, it's just awkward looking. It, it is very awkward looking, but how else are they going to do that? I don't know, but I think they could have done it better. But I'm not sure but, how else they're going to do that with 1955 technology. You couldn't without wires. Right. You couldn't. And I'm sure it wasn't worth the expense of putting them on wires. No, they weren't going to do any of that at this point. No more wires at all ever again. No. <laughs> Apparently, Caspar and Oresto kind of work together. Mm-hmm. They're complete opposites. Rockwell is unnerved by the fact that Caspar doesn't speak. Right. Meanwhile, he's unnerved by the fact that Oresto won't shut up. Right. But yeah, I think they are. I think Caspar is Jones's guy from the old country together. Right. Now, here's where the intrigue starts, I guess. Oh, now? Yeah. Ooh. Rockwell takes the negative folder from Jimmy. And uh, I called it a folder for lack of a better term, but I guess that's just what it is, a folder. They take the group shot, and he sends Superman to bring the negative to Argonia. I'm not sure Arresto is in on the plan here, because he objects to this. No, I think this is totally the big boss's plan. Yeah. I don't think anybody else knew what was happening here except him. Right. What's the big boss's name? Jonas Rockwell. Rockwell, right. So. Rockwell. Yeah, this was all his plan. He even kept the other guy in the dark. Right. Because obviously he has to explain it to Arresto after Superman leaves. Exactly. But we mentioned before that Superman does not seem to want to do this. Mm -mm. Because, you know, he mentions that first, he's asking a great deal. Yes. Flying it across the ocean is a great, is no, Uh not a difficult task, but always. It's still a lot to ask a guy to do. Even 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 Superman. Superman, yeah. But as soon as. He is he's either swayed by more charity money or maybe not. This episode doesn't do a very good job of showing us what Superman knows when he knows it. Exactly. When they're in the bomb shelter, basically Clark has to give a plot thumb. Exactly. In order to get us up to speed. Right. And they pretty much could have let us know all along how much Clark knew right from the get-go. Right. Or at least what he suspected. That's why I think this could have been a much better Clark Kent reporter story than it turns out to be. And Maybe they, that's just poor directing, I don't know, or writing, I don't know. It's poor planning because we'll get to when Clark comes back to the house, and I'm just watching, why is Clark there at all? Well, again, we have to assume off-page again that that's why he's there, is because he does know, and now he's coming to figure out what's happened with the rest of the story. Why not go back as Superman? Well, exactly, exactly. Well, but we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So, Superman leaves. Jimmy finds the uh, extra folder because he asked to go to the phone to call the planet to tell them he's coming with the photos. Obviously, I didn't mention this, but I should have. Before everybody showed up, Rockwell disconnected the phone and just jerked it right out of the wall. He did. He yanked it right out. So the phone was dead. He blames it on the lightning. Lois and Jimmy leave. But he does find the film folder and he just thinks that he's put one down and didn't realize it. Yeah, to a part of the room where he's never been all night, but right. he just all of a sudden thinks, gee, there's a film thing. I must have left it here, I don't know what, 10 minutes ago when right. I wasn't paying attention and I was dazed and taking pictures. Right. And just put one over here behind the phone, behind this little book thing. Yeah. Yeah, right. 
But either way, Jimmy takes it, and after they leave, Rockwell and Aresto do their Laughing Hyena contest, and this kind of forces Mara to pry the answers out of them. But after this, she's wishing she didn't get those answers. Yep. Because this is where she finds out that Jonas basically swindled her out of her inheritance, replaced her diamonds with fakes without her knowledge, and while she was blowing money, Rockwell stole what was left. Yep. Nice guy. Rough life lesson. Yep. And the rest of also isn't a diplomat. <laughs> Even he just dresses like one. Right. So it's all a ruse, and Mara fell for it like a ton of bricks because, I don't know, she seemed very sheltered. Yes. Naive, sheltered. Naive, yeah, you know. Totally unaware, totally trusting of her guardian. Right. Who, we have no idea where this guy came from. Mm -mm. And uh, we don't know what happened to the rest of the Van Cleavers. Nope. No idea how long he's been her guardian. We're just assuming it's been for quite some time. I'm going to assume that somewhere along the line something happened to Mr. Van Cleaver. He married her mother. And then something happened to her mother. Nah, I don't know. I don't know. Just a bit Yeah, too much to think about. Not, again, not enough information. Yep. Lois and Jimmy go back to the office, and Jimmy still has his six film holders. He should have five when you take away the one that Superman took to South Argonia. And they rush back to get an explanation. And again, I mentioned this before. Maybe they, maybe Jimmy should have developed those photos first so they knew what what they had. But his assumption was accurate. It was. So they, he knew, you know. He knew. And it would have taken too long. Yeah, probably would have. Old timey days. Got to go down and put them in chemicals and stuff. Yep. Yeah, but you don't have. To, it doesn't take that long to make a negative. I do not know. He doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't have to make a print to to see That's if the true. group print is there. That's true. He he can hold up a developed negative to the light and see what it is. But I still think his assumption was accurate. It was that the uh, that the group shot is was among all the negatives. Yep. Somebody pulled a switch. Yep. Well, we saw the switch. Well, we saw the switch, but Jimmy is putting it together. That right. I guarantee you, you know, he said that if I develop these, I'm pretty sure the group shot will be one of them. And right. we saw Lois even said, but we saw him put it in his Superman, put it in his belt. We saw him put something in his belt. And where do things go when Superman puts them in his belt? They just go right there. Do they go right into the Phantom Zone or something? Because it didn't look like he had anything in his belt when he left. <laughs> you would think it would be sticking out of his belt or something. Yeah, it's the same place Batman pulls the bat shield out of the back part of his bat right. utility belt. Go to the same place as Clark Kent goes to. There you go. He's got, a, he's got a tesseract in his pants. Well, we've seen him on several episodes tuck stuff into his belt. Yeah, and, and they just vanish. Yeah. All right, so they go back to the house and immediately demand to know about the extra film holder, and they end up in, basically they end up in the bomb shelter. But before that, we uh, they try to get away, and Caspar pulls a gun on them. And there's some more sniping between Lois and uh, Mara, because she's offering them a, I don't remember the exact amount, but if we, if we send you a ton of money in six months, would you forget everything you saw here? 50000 then 100000 Right. Right. Which is a on. lot of money in it, 1956. It's a lot of money. It would be a lot of money for me now. <clears throat> yes, sir. But Lois just, you know, says she feels sorry for her, because she thinks money is the answer to everything. And I guess when I guess when you're used to having it and wielding it like a club, it can be an answer. But when you don't have it, you're just getting by on a middle class salary. It doesn't solve. You know that it doesn't solve any problem. Nope. All right. Now every time this the doorbell rings, Mara gets more and more scared because she's 100 percent sure they're going to get caught. All right. Here we and are. And she is correct. She is correct. Clark shows up at Superman's request. <laughs> Why? 
Why not just show? Why not just show up as Superman? Mm -hmm. At some point, Superman had to realize what he was carrying. Well, he knew. Yeah, exactly. And so he shows back up at Clark with the plate. With the plate. Makes no sense. It doesn't. And then why would he destroy it? Well, because he got shot. He had to... uh, I know why in the story, but I'm saying why would he use that as the excuse? I guess he didn't have any else. And they've done that before. Yeah. Uh, A silver dollar, a book. He's done it so many other times. Oops, I just happened to have something in my pocket again that stopped the bullet. Clark Kent, luckiest man in the world. Why did he just come back here and start banging people's heads together? Exactly. He had all the stuff. He had all the He had everything he needed. Yeah. But he came back, played the little game, uh, gets shot, gets the note from What's-Her-Face that the Jimmy and thing, and that just tells the bad guys, okay, let's put them all back there. Right. Superman could have shown up, banged some heads together, used X-ray vision to find the Jimmy and Lois. Well, no, he, and the couldn't, other... he couldn't. The bomb shelter was lined with lead. Oh, gee, there's a lead room. I guess I better fly away because there's nothing in there that I need to see. No, you go bust through the thing. Yeah, they, they never, they never address these things. Of course not. But anyway, but even he, if you know Rockwell or Arresto didn't talk. Mara would have sung like a canary. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, now that she's passed him the note, they're putting all three of them back there in the in the lead in case. Actually, now all four of yeah, them. Yeah, she wasn't very uh, sly about passing this note. Oh, that was terrible. And I think it was staged to be terrible, showing that she's not very good at this. Right. And staged so that the, you know, the uh, little kid viewer made sure you didn't miss it either. Right. She tried to give him the note. And then the note, your friends are in the lead line bomb shelter behind the house. Yeah, you know, the lead line, the lead line stuff is still, in this era, they're still overusing it. Yeah. In the extent that, well, the Superman just will move on if he can't see into something. Exactly. They've, and they use got, that a lot. They've gotten away from this, fortunately. Yeah. You've even seen in some of the comics Superman be aware enough and say something like that. If I, if I see six warehouses on the waterfront, one of them is lined with lead. Right, right. Which one is he going to go after? Right. In Metropolis. Right. <laughs> yeah. And plus, lead nowadays isn't used that much in anything. It's kind of like illegal now. Right. But anyway, so now they're back in the little bomb shelter. Yeah, they're all locked in the bomb shelter, and uh, this is where Clark gives his expositional plot dump, telling us what Superman knew, and apparently Superman also wanted to find out who the contact man was in Argonia, so maybe that's what he did when he got there. Apparently. None of this we see. No, no, none of this. None of this. And that's, again, why I have to come back that this would have been a much better episode had they let us in on the fact that Clark suspected something early on. Right. And he was putting together this whole mystery. If they had done that, then it even makes sense him showing up there instead of Superman. Right. To just go ahead and follow through with the thing. But... Now that they're in the bomb shelter and he gives his exposition dump, now we kind of figure out, well, he's known about it for quite a while, and he had ulterior motives for Superman showing up and playing the game. Right. And it might have been as early as her wanting to place the ad, and when he turned her down until she mentioned South Argonia. Right. Maybe yeah. that was the thing that tipped him off. Maybe, because he does kind of say, oh, South Argonia. Yeah. Maybe South Argonia is known as a, some kind of, Criminal Haven or something. Whatever, but you know, but we're having to assume because it wasn't written well enough or directed or shown well enough. We're having to assume now that Clark put all this stuff together 
that early, which is why he decided for Superman to show up, not the 10000 for the charity. Right. Even when he gives all of the exposition, he doesn't indicate that his suspicions went any earlier than the Diamond Trust. Yeah, exactly. So they're still making us even that point assume, think that he showed up at first for the ten grand for the charity until right. he crushed the diamond. Well, that's and they're telling us that he that that's when he knew something was up. Right, but I think it it for me to even have any sense to the story, he knew from the get go. He had to. Yes. So there you go. So then he does get them. He then he shuffles them all out into the back back room of the back room. Right. The bomb shelter within the bomb shelter. <laughs> the bomb shelter within the bomb shelter, so that he can do his little lightning magic and get the battery charged for the radio. And then he does a nice thing when they all come back out, where I think George does a nice thing. He says, well, lightning struck and jumped from here. I'm afraid it's ruined. Yeah. He does a real, that's a real nice little bit. Yeah, so what do you think? Well, this whole bit was real nice. I mean, he, he ushers them all out, because mm-hmm. whatever he's going to do might be dangerous. And then Lois right. is... I love the lowest line. Since the way to see such a hero. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like uh, Clark's little smile there when he hears that. Right. And this is where we get his musing about the embarrassing question if he just broke out of there. Exactly. I think that's a good sequence. I agree. I agree. So here's where the lightning pays off. You know, that lightning without rain that we've been getting the whole episode. Right. right. They've been setting that sucker up all show. Yeah. Yeah, because Aresto does mention it again when Superman mm-hmm. leans. That he flew through the lightning. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you think of this little animation? It's not bad. Yeah, it's it not works. bad. Works. It's okay. Uh, Hand drawn. Yeah. Frame by frame. So, you know, you got to give credit to the person that sat there with the little marker and scratched out that lightning. Yeah. And this is where we learned that Clark Kent does indeed conduct electricity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it is a nice effect for the time. Yeah, I think it was a fine effect for the time. And very uh, effective. The lightning uh, charged the battery. Mm hmm. They call Henderson, who I believe is making his only appearance in this episode. No, he made two appearances. He received a call earlier to uh, about the plates being stolen. Mm, right, so, right. So Henderson goes to the airport, and I guess the police come and let them out of the bomb shelter? Mm-hmm. Them- Was Clark Kent with Henderson in the beginning when Henderson got the phone call about the plates being stolen? No, he Clark was not there. Okay. It was... See, I'm still trying to give Clark Kent credit for something here. No, it was Henderson in a uniformed cop. Okay. So they all celebrate because they think they've won, even though they're still locked in the bomb shelter. Right. Apparently, they keep caviar in the bomb shelter because Jimmy found some on a shelf to, for a celebratory meal. But Mara Mary has lost her taste for caviar. It's very salty. Yeah, I'm not, I don't care for it either. An acquired taste. Well, I have not acquired it. <laughs> And the Jimmy points out that they didn't need Superman to save them. Well, not yeah, as funny. such. As such, right. They, they've they done that. That's also a nice little fun thing in both the old Silver Age comics and, and the TV show periodically where they get out of a scrape and Superman helped them totally from behind the scenes or right. stuff. One of the island episodes. Yeah, Dag- the, Dagger Island. Dagger Island. And then another one where the uh, Dr. Livingston, I presume, with the white gorilla. They think that it was all Clark, that Superman wasn't there. So, But yeah, they've done that several times where they think they got out of it on their own without Superman helping them. Dagger Island, which is one of the episodes I'll be covering next week, Mm -hmm. for the most part, they do get away with it with no Superman. Yeah. The only thing I can think of Superman doing, I haven't watched the episode in a few years, 
I haven't watched it yet for the episode. But the only thing I can remember him doing in that episode is punching the hole for the spring. Yeah, he f- flew through a, a hole in the side of a wall. Yeah. yeah. I don't think to Superman does. I don't think Superman does anything else. Yeah, I'd have to think too. I haven't watched it I've, in a while either. Either way. Anyway, that'll, that'll be for next week. All right. So, big. Mm. Get to the ending here and... Uh, Mara works at the planet now, apparently. She's the new copy girl. Because mm-hmm. she feel well, she likes the feeling of doing something on her own. Apparently, she's not as mean and nasty to the working stiffs anymore. Mm-mm. So that $35 a week check she's going to get for being the copy board, copy girl. Right. Clark reminded her she's got ten grand there. And something else I thought of. Yeah. Well, obviously, she refuses the money. Happy right. to see the last of the money doing some good. Right. What if she just sold the house? True. Maybe they didn't own the house. Maybe they were just renting. I don't know. Your first thought refers to it as the Van Cleaver estate. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of that. There, Yeah, there's a loose end they probably didn't tie up. Well, you know, she could have at least gotten enough starter money to uh, get herself going just by selling the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But so she's definitely not penniless. Uh, no. 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 And she probably has connections in the rich people world, too. Yeah. And if she wanted to, she could probably call a few favors in. Yeah. How many times has Bruce Wayne or Oliver Queen lost their respective fortunes? Right. But apparently we're led to believe that Mara has learned her lesson. Well. About money and all that and all that stuff. That it can't solve all of her problems. And we're led to believe that she's learned her lesson. Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. That whole money can't make you happy stuff. Huh. <laughs> it helps. Yeah. yeah. You betcha. I'm a lot happier if I know where the next meal is coming from. Absolutely. Uh-huh. This was a tough This was a tough one. This was a little tough. Yeah, Jimmy the Kid just totally blows this one out of the water. Oh, absolutely. Totally. absolutely. totally uh, of the two. This this episode has more holes in the Swiss cheese that, it, that the deli didn't have a quick sandwich <laughs> from Jimmy the Kid. Right, right. I don't like American Yellow's Kraft Singles either. Well, no, I you couldn't pay me enough to eat the Kraft Singles. Yeah, those those are just disgusting. That's, that's terrible that's cheese. Not, that's not cheese. Yeah, I don't know what that stuff is. It's, it's just it's disgusting. I got to get real cheese from the deli. Yeah, I got to have real cheese if I'm going to eat cheese at all. But yeah, okay. That was something, wasn't it? That was. Definitely Jimmy the Kid, the better of the two. Absolutely. This one just kind of a, eh. Yeah. George looked good. Well, George George is still looking good in these seasons. Yeah, but but the show itself was, uh, was not... Uh, Again, the actors <laughs> do fine with the material that they're given. Yeah, I'm not blaming any of those guys. I'm blaming the the writing and the directing and everything that we praised in in Jimmy the Kid was missing in this episode. The look, the cameras, the cuts, the edits, everything about it was just bland and awkward. And But the actors did a good job. I do like the actors. We had, uh, particularly when you've got George and Jack and, and uh, what's it, Eldridge? John Eldridge. John Eldridge. He's a great bad guy. I just wish they'd had a little better material on this one. Because I think we had some good actors in this yeah. one. But we just didn't have the material. For all its flaws, this episode does show Jimmy as a photographer. Yeah, and he took a lot of pictures, too. You don't see Jimmy shoot, taking pictures very m- much in this series. No, he does carry the camera, though, on several episodes. Yeah, yeah they eventually get away from that, pretty much. Yeah. Or they just use it when they need it. Yeah, they, they use, that's exactly what they did. They use it when they need it. And... uh it's nice to see them remembering for a change that Jimmy's supposed to be a photographer. Right. Just about every Superman TV series seems to get away from Jimmy as the photographer. Yeah. 
Lois, yeah, Lois and Clark kind of did the same thing. Yeah, they all do it only pretty pulled, quick. Only pulled it out when it's needed. Right. The movies are, have been a little bit better about keeping Jimmy as a photographer, but for the most part, the movies waste his character. Yeah, I think they wasted the character, and Zack Snyder decided to literally waste the character. So where can the good listeners find you? Over my little Superman corner of the world called Superman Forever Radio at supermanforever.com. <laughs> Can't say that without doing almost the radio voice. Right. And it just can, happens. And you can find this show at its homepage, manofscreen.potomatic.com. You can email in, as Dave McElvenny did, address is manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group, put Man of Screen Podcast into your search menu, and the group will come right up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Oh, and, and if you're so inclined, please leave. you can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That'll help other people find the show. And also, uh, in the next week or so, I'll be getting back to Fear of the Walking Dead cast with at least Scott McGregor and Brian Hughes. Professor Alan Middleton shows up once in a while as well. What show is that? Fear of the Walking Dead cast over on the Two True Freaks Network. Ah, we'll ah. be covering the second half of uh, Season 7 of The Walking Dead. I've only seen the pilot. That's show's coming back soon, so we'll be getting back to that. Next time on this show, Superman will be getting married in Lois's dream in The Wedding of Superman. And then we're going to do a treasure hunt on Dagger Island. Woohoo! So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.